Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode is a recording of uh, a live show, if you will. It was a, a book launch for my friend Nadim Hassan's book about metal on Merseyside at the Carnival Brewing uh, Company in Liverpool. And um, before we even get into this, uh, before we even get into this recording, it, it, it can't go without without mention uh, the sad passing of two people uh, recently. Uh, we talk about one of those uh, people on the actual live recording. Uh, that gentleman is Mr. Malcolm Dome. Malcolm Dome, hugely important individual in the metal scene uh, as a journalist, as a rock journalist, and a real celebrator of metal music. This show wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, for Malcolm Dome. A lot of people's shows wouldn't exist. A lot of people's magazines wouldn't exist, like Sakrang and things like that. And Total Rock wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Malcolm Dome. One of the most knowledgeable people about the the business and about rock music, and what a wonderful historian for, for music, just encyclopedic knowledge. Absolutely adored metal and rock music. Hugely important uh, for for a number of reasons. But most of all, because he championed new music and he championed bands that you may have not heard of before, and he really gave those bands platforms. That has been inundated with with tributes, as rightly as they should be, to to, to Mr. Malcolm Dome, hugely important person. Um, I, there was a couple of chances I was trying to get him actually on the show, and he even adds some bits and pieces to Ned's book as well. Um, it was a shame that we never made that happen. Um, but this show lives on. Very much because because of him and everything he did, he was one of those guys that I would read regularly and watch anything he was in. In any documentary about metal, Malcolm Dome was the go-to guy to have on your show. He was that knowledgeable and that important. And we really did lose a, a fantastic individual with his passing, um, which we, we mentioned in in the show. And we raised a drink to him, as I suggest you you do as well. The other person is um, is someone you may have not heard of before um uh, dominic koning or humper as i as i knew him um from the band stillbirth and district uh nine and and a whole host of other other acts and and, and endeavors humper was uh, a huge huge part of his metal and uh, death metal scene and was just one of the most couldn't could not have been a nicer guy. Quite often, as the case is, the heavier the band, the nicer the guy. And Pumper was very much that. He was just super super nice guy. He had his own uh, studios, and he would help every single band I've talked to. It was, it was just such a sweetheart to to talk to and work with. He was endlessly helpful, and he was on the show uh, a couple of episodes ago. The show was only about an hour and an hour and a half long. But after we we stopped recording in inverted commas, me and Pumper just talked for ages, and 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 he was he felt like someone I'd known for a long long time. He, he was a very old soul in that respect, and and it was um, and we did we decided we were going to do some things coming up as well on with with Stillbirth because they have some new material out and what have you, and uh, we promised to see each other when we were in each other's relevant countries, and um, and it never. It never transpired um, because, uh, sadly, uh, Pumper passed away. Um, he was battling his his own set of demons, and and and, and, and unfortunately, um, he he's no longer with us. Um, and it's incredibly it's incredibly sad to 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 think of someone that you were talking to only very recently. He was 
full of of energy and life and and real positivity and you know real helpful guy and really supportive guy that you know he was obviously dealing with some things and that's why i want to say now that you know you if you are struggling with 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 issues and problems and things going on in your mind reach out and talk to to someone and talk to someone about it the metal community or not or even wider is is open to 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 people talking to each other and speak to each other and and, and help each other we're going to be um i say we i i'm, I'm purely there as, as as a fan the uh, we're going to be doing a, an event joe mortimer's very very quickly put an event together to support the the uh, the, the uh, or rather pay tribute to the life of pumper uh, at the outpost and i'll post details on the various social medias when that um when that comes comes to i want to just say this if i can say this to, the, to someone listening if you are going through a difficult time you are not alone you really are not alone and everybody thinks that everybody else has got their shit together and the truth is that no one's got their shit together everybody struggles with something and it's okay to do that but you need to talk to your friends and talk to people about that how how that can be helped and someone can can and merely talking to someone and talking it through can help i struggle you know there may be st- some people who listen to this podcast and think well you know coop does this coop does that he talks to this band he talks to that band what a great thing he's got going on probably maybe maybe people don't but some somebody might do and and i struggle i struggle i struggle recording my own voice i find it difficult sometimes i this podcast has got uh you know issues with the sound and I agonize with that. I agonize over every word I say and I worry about how I, uh, hopefully I come across that I'd like to support the scene and, a, and I'm a helpful person, but I agonize over it. And I, sometimes it's difficult for me to, 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 to do things to get, to get through my day and, and to not, not think of, you know, you know, the, the, the depression and those, those issues that, that surround, surround all of us, they surround all of us. Listen, there you go. I've just admitted that, you know, that I, I struggle. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be embarrassed about. This is this is real life. This is this is what goes on. So I talk to those people around me, and I reach out to those people, and, and because they allow themselves to be talked to, they they you know what's going on, how are you doing, and we we talk about things, and and sometimes I feel a little bit better, and sometimes I don't, but I always start to rebuild myself a little bit to to, to getting back to where I feel comfortable with myself, and these things are these things shouldn't be taboo or, or or kind of hidden these things should be out there so it's not embarrassing to talk about these things um and 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 say that you need a little help every now and again so it's 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 really a shame that we lost some 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 beautiful people malcolm dole dome and pumper from from this world and the world will be a lesser place for their passing but they leave a very rich history and a very rich um seeds have been planted for other bands other things you know the, the work that pumper did with a lot of bands um and hopefully joe and him did a project and that will see light will be the things that we'll remember them as we should you know as we will remember remember those people um so i thank you for for letting me let me say that and let me put put putting that out there and i appreciate that this Episode is was recorded in the Carnival uh, Brewing Company, a wonderful place in Liverpool. And this was I didn't it was it was one way or the other whether it was going to be recorded. 
because um, it was I wanted it to kind of be a, 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 an event for Ned. I didn't really want to jump on that, but Ned was very keen to put this out as a podcast. I've read his book. I wrote the foreword for his book. It is superb, um, mainly because it informs almost as much as it supports. It's difficult to say whether it does or how much it does, but just so much for the metal community. I learned so much from it, and I would strongly suggest buying the, digitally buying the book or if you can buy a hard copy doing that. And, and 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 taking that in because there's an enormous amount of interesting things in there about the metal community and metal on Mersey side. So we did the the launch, uh, meaning to be the um, we would talk about the book, but then open it to a much wider spectrum of of talking to people. There's a lot of people in the audience, the, the likes of Sal and Keith Hughes, um, Sharky from his his merch shop, um, JJ from, from from the K. There was a lot of people in the audience. It was a really great crowd. Um, the reason I mentioned where it was and that type of thing is that the recording isn't isn't amazing. That's the, the truth of it. We recorded it via a, a little device and it wasn't directly from the board. So every so often you hear weird things like you hear like this hissing and stuff. Uh, and, and it's what it is, is they were doing, it's a brewing company. So there's these massive vats where they're brewing IPAs and what have you. And they were trying cherries out in them and the cherries were reacting madly. They were making lots of noise. So you hear that. Then you hear there's things like where the, I asked the audience, and I'd like, I tried to get the microphone over to people so I could uh, amplify that somewhat, but obviously that wasn't the case. And so I tried to repeat what they said and talk about that there. These, these are all minute details, really. They're not like, you know, I'm just trying to preempt anybody going, oh, the recordings, this, the recordings. I think, it's, I think it's fine. I think it's a wonderful document of what, um, of what happened at the evening. It was fascinating. There's an enormous amount of stuff that we got from that. Ned spoke about all kinds of fascinating issues, things like performance shadow, which I hadn't really considered, and things about why Liverpool is in the situation it's in as opposed to where, where Manchester is. And the crowd raised some wonderful questions and some really interesting things. These events are important because it starts a conversation or continues a conversation. We did a similar thing almost exactly a year ago to the day um, at phase one. And we start these conversations and slowly but surely we help the scene and we move things forward and it is moving forward. And I hope you get a lot from this, these conversations. And actually, the point is to raise more conversations and to talk more. So if you do have any questions, feel free to message the show or on the various social medias, as I often say, leave messages. And I've already found lots and lots of friends and lots and lots of people who I and contacts that I wouldn't have normally considered through that evening, which is fabulous because it allows me to go to shows and see shows that I haven't even seen before or even considered, which is always great. Um, so please, you know, listen, it's a long one. It's like two and a half hours long. It's a, it's a long old thing. And hopefully there are things in that you get from that. And it raises as many questions as it answers because this is a, a, a you know, a, a moving forward process. But I really hope you enjoy it more than anything else. And I really hope you enjoy uh, Ned's book. So this was uh, the uh, Nadim Hassan's book, uh, Metal on Merseyside, this was the launch event and uh, Q&A with Joe Mortimer and Amanda Barnett as well, who were fantastic guests to speak on, a real wealth of knowledge amongst that panel, and I kind of just sit at the side and make silly jokes. <laughs> into, but hopefully you enjoy it, and please, as always, uh, get back to me with any questions or anything that is raised at the show that you want to talk about some more. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Absolutely amazing show of people. Amazing. What a, what a pure show that, that, that literally people will come to something that's free. Um, 
No, no, I, I mean, I'm going to do that, I'm do that old hardcore thing now. Where I kind of go, you need to be coming closer to the stage, and you can, you can come closer if you want to stay. Everybody, two seats forwards, two seats forwards. Is that what two seats forwards? <laughs> I'm going to keep this area free in case the kids come back and say they're going to pay for us, so that's going to be how we're going to do it. No, I, thank you very much, thank you very and thank you for the Carnival Brewing Company. What an amazing place, isn't it? Place of Massive. So, before we kind of get into things, I'll just try to tell you how it's going to play out. Um, so, I'll bring uh, Ned out pretty much straight away. We'll, we'll, he's got a bit uh, he wants to talk about his, his book, which obviously is the reason we're here. And then I'll bring out uh, several other uh, fantastic people and build up a little bit of a panel. And we'll do some, some questioning and answers at the end. But I've got some questions when we talk about so, some bits and pieces with them before we get started into that. So, please, if you can, hold your questions till the end. But I want to keep it really informal, so at any point you want to get up and go to the toilet and go, and I insist on going and getting something to drink, namely Carl, which is what I've been drinking, it's fantastic. Um, please do that, don't feel that uh, you'll be heckled or whatever, because you won't. Um, but yeah, so we'll get things underway. What I'm going to do as well is this will be recorded this evening uh, as part of the Spoken Metal Shoot podcast, so we can get that out there for people that couldn't come tonight, because there's a, been a lot of people from different countries who are interested in what we're going to be talking about tonight as well. Because as, as unique as Liverpool is, and it is very unique, and Merseyside is, there's going to be a lot of commonalities and a lot of threads that other communities and cities and cultures will will, will be uh, will find useful as well. I feel. Uh, has everybody had the chance to read the book or look at the book at all? I do have a copy here as well at some point if you want to have a look. And Ned has put some uh, the papers that you see on the tables there. I've got some discount codes so you can actually buy a digital version of the of the book as well. Um, is everybody okay with that? Does that kind of make sense? Can I, can I do the metal thing again? Is everybody okay with that? Yeah! <laughs> awful. <laughs> oh, awful. Uh, that's why I'm not a front man. Um, so I will do my usual intro and then we'll get that up. Um, so uh, good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to a very special event where we're gonna, uh, gonna talk to the author of this book, which I have in my hand here, with the, uh, the fantastic title of Metal on Merseyside, which is something I'm incredibly proud to be. I wrote the foreword for this um, because I believed what Ned was doing was I incredibly important. I first met Ned at uh, a show where we did, actually two, two years to this, this very day, we did a, uh, a Liverpool sort of metal conference. It was the first time it had ever been done. And it was a panel with several people. And we talked about issues and problems and things that we thought were, were needed to be talked about amongst the metal community. Uh, it wasn't very long, it was about 30, 40 minutes, it was on the pale horse called Death, uh, they were playing that show, we, we kind of just jumped it as a support for that and it was fantastic for me, I got an enormous amount from it but we, we didn't have enough time to cover a lot of the, the things that we'd like to have covered. Uh, some of these topics, it was like we had like 30 minutes and uh, it was like what's the future of metal in 30 minutes and it was like we couldn't answer these questions tonight we've got a lot longer uh, we're going to be joined with some fantastic guests hugely knowledgeable um, so get your questions ready for them but it, really it's it's ned's evening um, and i first met ned at that show now i'd read some stuff that he wrote in glasswick about metal and some shows and some albums and i was like well kind of I'll, I'll seek this guy out so at the show i kind of tried to see if we could find him anywhere can you switch off all mobile devices? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm Dave Chappelle or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so 
at the show, I tried to seek him out. It was, uh, I think, one of the bands uh, that was playing was Arms, and I was trying to talk to a few people. And I couldn't see him because Ned's not as tall as I am. <laughs> and uh, when I found Ned, I, he, he immediately started telling me that he was writing a book. And I thought that I was almost a little bit like kind of defensive, like, well, this guy's writing a book about metal in my community. Does he really know what he's talking about? And then he just floored me with the knowledge that he had about the area, the venues, the bands, and the key people that played a part in, in, in the whole scene. And then we stopped talking, and the bands kind of went in, and we, we started, almost kind of came off the stage, and were playing like right in front of us, and there was kind of a pit going on. And there's Ned, it springs up, and he's giving it the full beans, and pushing, and, and, and I thought, you know what? He's one of us. I, I, thought he's, I, I thought he's one of us. And he told me he was writing this book, and that was like two years ago, and it's maybe about, what, about three, four years now on this book? How long? Five years. I haven't done anything for five years. It's, so five years of writing this book. So for me, it's an important book that I think you should all read. I thought I knew about my local scene. I thought I knew about Metal on Merseyside, and it turns out I, I did not. We've got a lot of people that are in this audience tonight who I know are pivotal people within the scene. Um, we're joined by, the, cannot be go without mention, we're joined by the fabulous Sal uh, from Whiplash, if anybody can remember that. That's worth a round of applause, that is. I do not think Sal's good everything. So we're joined to be, there's, there's a very good friend of mine, there's a, a young gentleman over there, a very beautiful bearded man, Ollie. Uh, he does an incredible amount of stuff for his local scene as well. Also worthy of a round of applause. There are people here who go into, I can't get everybody around the applause. The bar staff are right now, don't they? Uh, but the point is that we are all part of this beautiful scene. Um, some of us have come near, some of us have come far to get to where we are today. Um, so I, enough of me, no one's come here to see me. Everybody's come to see um, what I believe is a true defender of the faith, as I like to call it, the author of that book, but my friend, Adina Sam. So oh, he's such a rock star, he's so cool. Scrolling. You should have music and stuff. Okay, so here we go. There we go, sir. So I don't know how much yeah, if you sit down. Here we go. Keep all the appliances, Jesus. So I will I'll let Ned talk now and really kind of just a little bit of an overview of the book in itself, and then there's there's one or two questions that I'd like to ask if that's okay. Um, so yeah, take it away now. Uh, thanks, thanks for everyone for coming down and thanks for that introduction, Mark. Um, I, I, I kind of want to let you ask the questions, but, you know, um, I suppose, like, what inspired me to write this book um, is probably this guy here, Joe, Joe Mortimer, um, certainly one of the people, because I... Um, I used to teach up at the University of Liverpool with my colleague over there, Holly Tesla's over there, uh, and um, I kind of, you know, I, I've been a metal fan for a long time, but I, I never really sort of thought about, you know, uh, I didn't know much about metal in Liverpool, and I kind of read stuff that had suggested that Liverpool didn't really have any metal bands of note. Um, in particular, I guess one of the things that inspired me about uh, to write this book was 
I hope he's not in the room, by the way. Um, <laughs> I was reading um, Paul Denoyer's book, Wondrous Place, which is a history, allegedly, of um, Liverpool music. And in the book, in one particular chapter, Denoyer says that Liverpool's never produced a metal band of any consequence. And he talks about the idea that Liverpool is not really a city of metal and, and, and so on. And I think as a lot of these history books do, they tend to kind of categorise Liverpool in, in sort of essentialist terms, as if kind of like, you know, Liverpool is all about one thing, so it's either about being the birthplace of the Beatles, or it's about dance music and cream and so on, and it's not a city that's characterised as being about metal. And I, but then at the same time, I, because I was working at the University of Liverpool, I was meeting people like Joe, and, and Joe, every, every, you know, every day I'd see him with, like, you know, the most ridiculous, gory <laughs> T-shirts on with, you know, uh, death metal, these obscure death metal bands. And I was kind of like, who is this guy? I, I need to talk to him. And, and so I found out he was in, in bands and stuff, and I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, so there, there are metal bands in Liverpool, and, and not only is, is you know, are, are there metal bands in Liverpool, but there's kind of... A variety of scenes and, and it just got me really curious um, and, and, and I just thought you know it's it's an interesting kind of um, it felt like a paradox you know the idea of um, metal in Liverpool because Liverpool is so seen as like the capital city of pop music and so on so I thought there's a book in that somewhere because no one else is writing about this. And that kind of got me started thinking. And then, eventually I managed to get a full-time job at John Moore's, and my, my you know, colleagues are over there, Steve and Rachel and Pete, and a few other people were here before. And, and once I'd settled down and, and, and so on, and got into my job role, I thought, you know, maybe now's the time for that book. So I, of course, the first person I, I, I turned to was this guy again, and. I, and we kind of had a meeting and we sat down and, no, we didn't sit down in Swan over a few pints. We sat down over a nice cup of tea um, and, uh, and, and I kind of said, Joe, you know that book I was talking to you about years ago? And he was like, yeah. And I said, well, you know, I'm thinking of, of kind of doing it, you know. Um, so we just sat down and mapped out and these are the people you should talk to and, and these are the bands you should check out and... And it, I just kind of snowballed from there, and then I got permission from my university uh, ethically to, to do some uh, research. And then I just kind of, I was already kind of familiar with the scene, but I kind of then took it upon myself to sort of embed myself within the scene a little bit, and started going to gigs, and started um, hanging out with, you know, where, where people uh, kind of were going to, to gigs and stuff. I, I'd already been to one of Sal's gigs and, and uh, kind of didn't bring my earplugs, which was a big mistake. Um, and kind of, you know, but I, I'd been to one of Sal's gigs, but I'd never met Sal. And then, but I gradually got to meet these people, and I thought, you know, there's definitely a story to tell here because, you know, I think as as my friend Sarah Cohen puts it in one of her books. 
Liverpool's music histories is always about the kind of it's the same stories in a way um, it's the usual suspects you know it's it's the Beatles or it's Cream or it's Echo and the Bunny Man and so on and I thought there's, there's another story to tell really um, why aren't these history books talking about Carcass you know why aren't they talking about Anathema why aren't they talking about you know Iron Witch or Video Nasties or whatever you know and so that was part of what I wanted to do was kind of tell a, not not rescue metal and sort of say oh you know metal should be part of this great music heritage because I think the whole idea of music heri heritage is a bit problematic but kind of just to tell an alternative narrative so that's where the book project came from yeah you, you were saying that in the book you were talking about an almost uh, a hidden history yeah that, that just wasn't it wasn't a, a frame of reference for people people didn't even realize it was it was lost to the abyss of time you know you because you in the book you go back to uh, all the way back to the cavern and and, and and that type of thing and you know pre beatles and, and what have you and i thought that it was interesting you, know, you take it all the way up to, to to modern day and bands like the video nasties and everything that, that, that's gone in between there and it was surprising even to me you who thought i knew uh, quite a lot about the scene musically never, never mind metal there was there was a very much a completely hidden history you know something that wasn't being talked about and you know you you say you do you know it, it 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 wasn't lost but in many ways it was it was it was a lost thing and if and if you hadn't wrote about it or talked about it there's a fair chance it probably been, would have been completely lost and um, ned's very 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 humble uh, when i'll spill a bit of tea when i was doing the the the, the, the forward i wrote a load of nonsense and and basically, one of the lines was, um, you truly have to love, in order to, do, to listen to it or enjoy it, you truly have to love metal and all its parts. And, and Ned sent a message back, I don't want to put that I, that I truly love it. I don't want to put that in case someone calls me on it. Um, and I'm going to call him on it tonight. It, it's, <laughs> that's nonsense. Uh, uh, Ned's one of us and Ned listens to metal. I'll tell you how I know, for a fact that he is one of us, and he has to, is that he gets told by his work associates to turn down carcass, and that's how I know you're one of us. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it, he's incredibly humble, but I, I believe that quite a lot of the stories and the people that he was talking to, uh, you know, at Conan and Atham and stuff, that those stories would not get heard. And what's interesting, as we'll, we'll discuss as we go through the night, is that there is a hidden history, there is a hidden scene. There is a, a scene, and it's not hidden because someone's trying to hide it. It's because there's a, a lot of information, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's not always easy to find the roots to things. It's not always easy to find the roots to where local music is being played, where underground music is being played. It's not always obvious. And what I think, one of the things we'll try and do this evening is um, not just talk about stuff, but actually go and kind of go, this is what we think we should do. Let's start talking about a roadmap to make sure that metal and extreme music within our community for a start isn't forgotten and, and, and is measured and is uh, catalogued to some degree. Um, it's weird as well when reading the book that it's laid out chapter and verse to see headings about like, what was the heading? Um, we need 12 litres of pig's blood is one of the headings. And it's like to see it in, in, in like an academia and written down, like, oh, I just thought that, that amused the hell out of me. I suppose 
we should uh, we are in, in, in the presence of some, some fantastic people namely this gentleman which i'm about to introduce who um the last time we did anything together we did a show for excavations album launch which was a fantastic show that anybody was, was there for that i did a tiny little spoken word thing at the beginning but as we're traveling over to the show this particular gentleman who's a promoter a bassist and, and an all-round superhuman um messaged me and said i haven't got anybody to do the door and I was like, I'll do the door, I'm not precious, I'll do that. And so I did the door and you, know, you take the money and people come in, you give them the stamps and all that. Malarkey. And I did, he didn't realise that once he played his set, a very vigorous and extreme set, I would add, yeah, he came over and then did the door. And, and it was just a, a wonderful thing of like, um, no pretension. He has absolutely, he's completely humble in every way. He's one of the workhorses of our scene, ladies and gentlemen, and must be reflected uh, in the round of applause that you give, Mr. Joe Mordsman. Please, uh, um, Joe's all over the book, like a, like a piddling puppy. Uh, he's all over the book, and rightly so. Um, and like I say, Joe. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, Joe, Joe's much like everybody on this panel tonight. Uh, we don't know what we're doing. But, um, Joe is in 9,000 bands as well, so there's going to be lots, True lots of them, things that we can uh, we can cover. No, 9,000 eight now. Oh, is it? Yeah, we've just formed one. Then I think me, Amanda, and you are your own base. Yeah, I think that's all. Um, but I think you will. I probably echo what I was saying about finding those bands and the scene, kind of maybe getting some of the credits it deserves that's out there. I mean, what do you think about the underground system and the underground sort of? Think that is it, there is out there? Is it what situation is it like? Is it a good situation? Is it a bad situation? Are, are we missing things here? I think with Liverpool, it's kind of like it's in a perpetual state of flux, mm. and I think it's going to be one of those cities which is like forever underground. It, it always spawns bands of all genres, which then go on to be big in other capacities, but they never seem to come back to Liverpool big. Every time I've seen, uh, for example, Anathema, who have played a lot of shows coming back to Liverpool, I remember seeing them on uh, the 27th of December, 2007, maybe, they played a comeback show in the, uh, the Cavern Club. And it was like, they could have played a, a considerably bigger venue if they wanted to, but they came back and had a really small intimate show to raise money for all day. And it's just like, I know that they've gone on to play shows in Grand Central, gone to play shows in the Cathedral, um, but they could, you know, you'd think, maybe they could play bigger thing, bigger venues, but I don't think they need to. I think it's, they come back and they stick to the roots. And it's like, it's one of, Liverpool is one of those cities which even outside of music is so roots-based. Like, it's gra grassroots venues, grassroots bands. That it's, well, it's, it's probably why a lot of bands struggle to really get out there and get the notice beyond what they have in, in, in Liverpool alone. Um, but I think that's a good thing. It's it's like a it's like a nice little like garden of talent where everything grows really well, and then sometimes they, they manage to sprout out and go elsewhere. You know, uh, so yeah, it's 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 we, we we are starting to see that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll um, we'll, we'll see some of those examples. The video nasties is a good example, of, and obviously Loath is is another uh, great example of bands that are kind of where the fact that they are where they're from. Quite thank you, Watcher. Uh, on their on their sleeve. So it used to be. I think it it seemed quite cyclic that um, 
a band would get to a certain degree and then run off from Liverpool and never return. But I think that that's I think that's slowly fading, and I think that's that's the case. Have you noticed now that any kind of sort of cycles of things that happen? Um, you know, because the book starts in the sixties, it moves through to sort of the eighties and uh, late nineties, early two thousands. It has. To, is there a cycle here? Are we expecting what I'm leading to here? Is are we expecting another wave of great bands? Are we expecting another rebirth of the scene? Is that possible? It's a difficult question because. For me, as I say in the book, there isn't there isn't one scene in Liverpool. I think you know that concept of scene means different things for different people, uh, as as I'm saying in, in the book. So I think um, certainly for some people, around about you know that that kind of twenty fourteen fifteen into. 16 period. I, I know a lot of people were really excited about some of the extreme metal bands that were that were in the city. The brutal death metal scene, the slam death metal stuff that was going on. But part of that was down to, you know, the, the fact that, you know, and Joe and I talked about this at the time in, in our first interview for the book was, you know, at that time, the Lomax hadn't yet shut. Um, Maguire's was a new venue that was a really kind of DIY venue and what it allowed promoters like Joe to do and Andy to a certain extent was to put on bands these kind of lesser known uh, slam and death metal bands and so on so I think scenes sometimes um, can not, not so much emerge but get a boost from kind of the availability of particular venues on, on, on new venues um, can give them a real shot in the arm. And I think certainly what Maguire's did is, is, give, is give some of the, the, the sort of more extreme end uh, in terms of death metal a real shot in the arm at that time. Um, can I see that happening? I'm, I'm sure it will happen. Um, but you know, I'm not sure whether I would be able to predict what's kind of the next big. I mean, yeah, I need a date, I'm afraid. Yeah, I need yeah. an exact date for when uh, metal returns to Liverpool. It's, it's never gone away. It's, it's never it's exactly right. It's never gone away, and I think that's that's one of the, if there's one thing that you get from the book is that it, it hasn't gone away. It's just gone to different corners and different facets and. And, and death metal, like like the whole uh, death metal scene, is is, is blooming, is, is flourishing quite nicely, as Joe, I'm sure, will attest to. Um, and it's interesting that I, I do think there's probably some cyclic elements to it that it will come back around as people require that. And I think it's born from things like um, venues and accessibility and and a, and a need that there is a very much a need. Liverpool is. Has a high standard for the music that it asks for, um, and it has a high standard for the artists as well. You know, um, and, and what the, how good the musicians are is it, it, it's it's a weird thing that I found with a shows. I always expect a lot more from 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 our our own, if you will. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about one of the chapters where it was um, that there's been geographical changes and sociological changes that have also influenced that. We were talking just then about venues and bricks and mortar type of thing but what did you find that was happening geographically then and, and I'll bring Amanda in a sec as well uh, up to talk about sociologically what's changed as well 
Well, I mean, you know, in terms of the, the city's geography, obviously part of the, the interest in the book is a lot of about, you know, the geography of changing venues, you know, so, so kind of, um, I don't particularly like the term, but some live music scholars talk about the idea of an ecosystem for a particular city. And, you know, I, I think that metaphor is not necessarily the best metaphor. I think a circuit might be a better metaphor. But, you know, your circuit is important. And the mixture of grassroots, medium and larger venues is important. And what's happened in the city centre over the several decades is you've probably had an increasingly small number of key venues for rock in comparison to, say, uh, the 1980s and, you know, 1970s, 1980s. So in the 1980s, you know, uh, you had quite a nice kind of circuit that, on the one hand, you had sort of smaller venues like the Moonstone, which became Milo's, which was actually in St. John's Precinct, uh, there were pubs in that precinct downstairs, and the Moonstone was a bit of a gathering place, you know, for for rockers, and they'd have live bands on. And some of the bands that emerged in the 70s and 80s, people like um, Nuts and Marseille and Export, and Nuts became Rage, and they were one of the, the first kind of new wave of British heavy metal bands from, from Liverpool. They kind of would have started like playing in pubs like the Moonstone, um, and a few other pubs around that area. And they sort of graduate from the pub circuit, and they, then they'd maybe play the Royal Court, which used to be, you know, a, 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 a kind of music venue, now it's just a theatre. And then possibly, you know, they would then go on to play at the, the Liverpool Empire. They were the big venues at the time in the 80s. But I think what's happened with the, with the geography of the city in, in more recent years is you've seen a kind of shrinking of some of the key grassroots venues in some respects. Obviously those, those pubs are long gone. You had, you had places on Wood Street that, that would house metal enthusiasts, you know, crazy house obviously. That's kind of not really doing much for metal these days. It was an absolutely vital venue during the late 80s into the 90s uh, and, and into the early 2000s. Yeah, Wilson's a bit further down that street. Um, she had these venues. What we've seen is a, a sort of gradual loss of those city centre venues. Then you've had kind of, you know, um, a Baltic Triangle area opening up, you know, places on the periphery of the city. But the actual, if you think about actual small venues in the city centre, they quite kind of dwindled. So the, uh, the, you put up a map, uh, there's two or three maps, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, in the book where, and it shows you venues, and, it, and it's very obvious that that is shrinking. Um, I'd go, I mean, I don't know what Joe thinks about this, I would agree that ecosystem is probably the wrong word, yeah. and it's probably more of a school, in so much as you have your, your different sort of, your primary school, then you graduate, and, and having that as a, as a, a group of venues is, 
inspirational, for want of a better word. It gives you a route map to kind of, well, if I play this venue, and I sell this venue, I can move to this venue, and I can move to this venue, and then off and away, away I go. Have you found that, Joe? Have you found that there definitely has been a shrinking of, of grassroots venues, or uh, you know, a few that have closed, and certainly a spread of venues is probably the better way, spread of uh, different style venues with different camps? Yeah, definitely. Um, like as, as far back as I would go is from attending or promoting or playing shows. I've been I must have been attending shows in Liverpool for about twenty years. So from some people remember like the original picket on um, uh, Hardman Street, uh, where I was going to like uh, all day with like small like local thrash bands and stuff back in the day. You know a lot of the types of there's still plenty of venues, but the types of venues which have became synonymous with modern rock and metal bands has definitely shrunk. So there's just not as many available. Um, the Zanzibar's kind of came and went a few times, recently reopened. Uh, I believe that they are having more club nights and stuff, the shipping forecast start to have more events going on. But uh, a lot of the venues that we may have been using in previous years, uh, even as far back as the original incarnation of Hannah's Bar, uh, I remember seeing by, uh, I remember seeing Desecration playing in Dian and uh, Once Upon a Time. So a lot of these venues just don't really exist anymore. So now whenever one seems to go and then the a promoter moves to another place, it takes a little while to build up. We mentioned Maguire's, which is now known as Outpost on Redshore Street. Um, when that first started, when it was originally just a pizza bar, um, the reason why the show started there was uh, a friend of mine, Kabir the Silver, uh, he had a show booked that night, uh, well, for, he had a show booked which uh, in a pilgrim, which ended up being double booked, and he called me and he was like, Joe, I don't know what to do, uh, I need to find another venue, and he was like, good, so my dad owns 61A uh, Redshore Street. Uh, thrift shop and he's like I think that the pizza bar next door has got an empty room behind it so I'm thinking about putting the show on there what do you think and I was like well is there anything there like what is it is it, is it just an empty room is there a PA system so we went down we had a look and we said oh you know, can we have a look in your back room <laughs> uh, and, they were, um, and they were like uh, why he's like we want to do like a metal show and they were like why <laughs> we're like well we did have another venue but it got to book booked and they were like you can have a look if you want but it's just full of trash we ended up spending a night moving away, moving like uh, fridge freezers and moving all stuff around. And um, we got, a, got a, a guy to come down with the PA system. We didn't have a microphone stand, kind of like tonight. Uh, so the microphone was sellotaped to the top of a step ladder. Um, there, was no, there was no usable safe plug socket, so we had an extension cable going upstairs, to the flat upstairs. Uh, and that's how we did the show. Uh, but for a while before then, I was doing shows on Pilgrim, moved them over to Outpost, and it took a while to well, Maguire's at the time, and then that was where that kind of scene started to build up. And every time one venue disappears and another one pops up, it's like, great, yeah, there's another place, but then it almost takes a while to kind of warm people up to that place, to be like, right, yeah, so there's this new place come down. Like, oh yeah, but I used to like the Pilgrim for shows, because it was one pound for the Battle of Carlsberg. And I was like, well, if you come down here, it's two quid for an amazing slice of pizza. So it's like it's, it's like you kind of almost got to persuade people, and then you start building it and building it. it it's, it's unfortunate so many venues kind of fold, and then it takes a while to build it up elsewhere. I, I, th I thought one of the things that was interesting in, in the book then was that you you were talking about sort of the the crazy reasons these venues close and the, the, the sort of lack of support from the, 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 the city's own council and the government and just how these things are just left to rack and ruin. They're just they're like, you know, rents and all that type of thing. And it's just, there's a proliferation of just uh, real bad management of, of venues uh, within the, the, certainly Wood Street, for example, and, and the surrounding area. And it, it seems to have only got worse. It seems to have only got worse. And I know that one of the things got brought up the last time when we did this conference 
uh, was that there was a lack of venues. And we'll talk about that as we get sort of as, as we get on. But did you find that that, that was the case that there was a, just a complete lack, lack of, of council and government support and a complete lack of sort of the management of, of venues and buildings in Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big factors in a lot of this, and it, it's not just Liverpool. It's um, you know there are broader forces at play here and this affects a lot of cities, you know, is, is kind of regen regeneration on the one hand, gentrification on the other. And um, for different reasons, different venues have, have, have gone, you know. Um, if you think about um, something like um, the picket, that, that's a case in point, you know, that, that was lost. Um, despite a, a large campaign to save it, and it, it was lost ultimately because it, it was sold. It was sold for um, property development, you know. Um, so it, 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 I think those are some of the things. Some of these ve venues aren't being particularly well protected. Um, of course, some of these venues are lost because. When you get really challenging times, like we are in at the moment, COVID and so on, some of these venues can't stay afloat. Um, so, Sound Basement, for instance, you know, I've, I've seen. Um, I think the last gig I ever went to in Liverpool was in Sound Basement. Saw Video Nasties playing there for their album launch show, um, and yet, you know, as soon as COVID comes along, boom, you know, Sound is gone. It, but, the problem is that for some of these venues, they're not necessarily able to apply for the same funding, uh, and they kind of fall through some of the funding loopholes. Um, hopefully, the Zanzibar gets back up on its feet, but but that was a huge loss, you know. Um, Daniel Moran's not here tonight. Daniel Moran from Reaper, but I remember on his um, Facebook page. He, he put a really long, heartfelt message about the Zanzibar closing, and he said, you know, that was the first place where I'd met my bandmates from Reaper, that was the place where I'd met my bandmates um, from Equinox, who became Ash and Reach. Um, these, were, these sorts of grassroots venues, which will have showcase nights, which have got really... The Zanzibar had a fantastic PA system, by the way, one of the best sound, system, the best desks, yeah. sound systems in, in the city. You know, they should be protected more from, you know, the, 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 I think people within the city should see some of these resources as, as, you know, as what they should be. You know, they're important resources for people, for the grassroots, uh, for, for the new generations coming through, you know. Um, yeah. I think... Uh, I, think that I just want to go back to uh, Ned calling us all metal enthusiasts, and I really, I really like that, by the way. <laughs> that was a great way to say it. Um, I'm going to bring uh, the, the, the last person for, the, for this panel up because I want to talk about some of those things uh, sociologically that, that are happening. That can, uh, also, as we're talking about bricks and mortar and the management of that, but I think there's also there's a, there's the groups within that as well that are very important to talk about. Uh, we're very, very pleased to have uh, this lady. We caught her in between uh, being in the States and being in here and, do, and, and, and doing some amazing things. Um, and what better, how, 
one more learned person could we have than someone who's actually studied at the University of Liverpool on uh, metal and societies and been uh, the, the presence twice of the of the rock society you know also doing work with live nation back in boston and uh, it's very very nice to have uh, amanda arnott on the, the show here tonight. i can't let the metal guy go amanda Barnett, ladies and gentlemen Yay! that's a metal crowd there's a difference you see that that's a metal crowd welcome um i suppose i'd like to talk a little bit about about rock society and about a group of people and the under under umbrella of rock and what they can do. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so amazed that I was last week just excited to go to this event and now I'm speaking. So, hi everybody. Uh, so um, Ned is actually my PhD supervisor for this project, but I am writing my doctorate on rock societies and sort of the significance they have in the northwest of England. So um, if you've never heard of a rock society, you probably wish you had when you were about 18 years old. Uh, just about every British university has one, and it's rock, but as we all know, rock music is a very, shall I say throwaway term, not in a nasty way, but it just covers a lot of things. So any of us outsiders, weirdos, who are into punk, metal, goth, you know, we kind of accept people who listen to Muse and other popular music, but no, it's, um, I'd say uh, every year is a little bit different actually for who the newer students are, for what kind of music the society's really into. So I'd say back when I came here and was in charge, it was more of a metal vibe. I'd say today they're probably a little bit more politically charged than music charged, uh, but yeah, it changes every year. Um, and that's been a big part of Liverpool scene as well. I feel like I've met Andy Hughes, who's another big promoter in the city. We didn't give it a round of applause for you yet, but Andy, Andy's amazing. <laughs> um, he does Death Wave, and um, you know everyone here I've sort of met from being in rock society as well, but it was just this place where you could show up completely new to a country saying, I write about metal and I probably will have no friends. And then went to Rock Society and found a lot of people thought that was really cool. So I found out how to gig in the city and uh, sort of worked with Andy several times to put on gigs. Um, ironically, you all are talking about Maguire's. That was actually a big shock for Rock Society's when they shut too, because we used to do a Christmas gig there. So it was Christmas plus heavy metal. And my t-shirt, Nova Crow, we always had Nova Crow as our headliner every year. That was always a big deal to us to get the Nova Crow from Liverpool to play a rock sock venue. Uh, and usually the opening bands would be littler student bands from rock sock or friends of rock sock. And yeah, that was just a really accessible venue for a bunch of, you know, 18 to 30 year olds who don't really have a lot of money or experience putting on gigs, certainly don't own PA equipment have bands who need to share the same drum set or whatever else they're sharing that night. And uh, that was a real hit for us too and being able to have our own sort of independence to put on gigs and support student bands and things like that. So, um, what else did you want me to say about Rockstock? I got a little carried away there. It's okay, it's okay. Um, I, uh, what you, you do offer a unique perspective because everybody here to a lesser or greater extent is from this area. So uh, a lot of things that we talk about is from kind of, I lived up the road or I used to go to. You can almost kind of uh, separate yourself from that in so much as that you spent an enormous amount of time in the States and then come here. From a, an outsider's point of view, what is your uh, assessment, is possibly the wrong word, but what is your view of the, of the Liverpool and the Society? Well, I think it's, 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 it
sure. Um, I will say, as someone who showed up to the city as a complete outsider, I hadn't even visited Liverpool before I decided to go to university here. So a lot of my friends were like, are you okay? Is that a great idea? Where are you moving? Will I ever see you again? Um, and it turned out I really, um, I actually feel a lot more at home in this music scene than I ever did in Boston. I feel like this metal scene is very home ground, very welcoming to new people who have enthusiasm and interest. And I, I mean, ironically, this is something that Ned covers in his book a bit, but you know, if you don't know Liverpool because you're not from here, Beatles, 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 that's all you hear about, you know, it's a great city, um, but that's what most people in the rest of the world, that's how they know what Liverpool is. I will say I'm happy people know what Liverpool is. I'd say a lot of my American comrades ask me how London is, and I honestly can never answer that question. I don't care how London is, nor have I been there. So, um, you know, it's, it is a very important part of Liverpool, the Beatles heritage that we have, and sort of, um, I think it was something Joe and a few other interviewees touched on the idea of like they're from here, they got out, they're this world-known act, and you know there's sort of that camaraderie around it. But you also, once you get in the scene and sort of see all these great bands and all these talented people, um, maybe not with the best circumstances or luck, but there's a lot of talent and a lot of heart in the city, and I think it's it's really. It is kind of sad that the, the world is like, oh, well, that's where the Beatles are from. Like, in a way, it's great because, okay, fine, you know a city besides London and England, that's a start. But beyond that, there's so much more that the city has to offer, and especially with extreme metal and student bands. And it's just a great place to be a young person to start a band, unless, of course, you're looking for a drummer. We all know about that issue. But I think that's the only thing Liverpool has a problem with musically, personally. But. I'm anxious that to hear, ladies and gentlemen, about someone's view from outside. Is that you know we often you know look, we're gonna say the Beatles are army tonight, but yeah, that is often how people see us, and it's nice that someone has come over and seen through that, and it's it's wonderful to hear someone say that there's an incredible amount of talent. We know that we know there's an incredible amount of talent here, but it's it's wonderful to hear someone say that. I suppose as we kind of turn towards get to the Q and A section, I do want to talk um, about what we can do then to sustain this scene and then going forward from that, what we can do to even enhance it. Um, so, I mean, Ned, you, you obviously, you, an enormous amount of information that you, you took on board and, and working through the history and the things you could see. What do you think, what would sustain in the scene? Where do we start? What, what's the first moves, what's the first steps? I mean, I think that, you know, funnily enough, I, I thought about this last week. Some of my MA students are in the room tonight. It was last week, wasn't it? We had the, we had the, the little panel discussion. Um, and Joe was there and Andy was there. And, and I'm a lot more optimistic after that panel discussion than I was like kind of when I finished writing the book because in the book I talk a lot about you know, the loss of venues and kind of a, a sort of shrinking circuit and so on. But what Joe was saying in the, at that Q&A last week and what Andy had said was that, you know, these people like, people like those Joe and Andy and, and other people in, it, it, you know, some of the, the, those people are in this room, they're the most important resources, not venues, because it's ultimately, it, it's the people 
who are willing to devote hours and hours of their time to, 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 finding, to finding new venues, to, to working collaboratively. Um, and I, 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 I was struck by, you know, at the end of that q and I thought, well, you know, actually, that, that's an important point, you know, that I think that the scene's in good hands as long as you've got people key people who who were who were able to carry on working and and perhaps working more collaboratively i know and i know andy you know uh who runs deaf wave entertainment here um i know andy's been trying to get you know a, a new venue on on the go and I, I do think that's important because you know venues are important they they're, they're kind of hopes they're places where people can gather, where new bands can potentially form. So they are important, but they're not the be-all and end-all. I think that, you know, if you've got committed people who are willing to kind of um, work, the whole sort of um, latter sections of the book are kind of about what people do. You know, that it, it's, a, it's about creative work, you know. And some of the stuff that people told me is fascinating. You know, I've got Chris over there from a the couple of guys from Exhumation in the room. And Chris was telling me, oh, you know, like I get me Nan to share our gigs on Facebook. I, I and did, stuff I like did actually say laugh out loud when yeah. I read that. Because you know, it's so it's it's so atypical. And, and it's like I think the the effort that some of these people go to, this is not their kind of, you know, it's not like they're full-time musicians who get paid for being full-time musicians, they're doing, they're doing day jobs, they're doing other things, and yet they're still there able to kind of, you know, create these events, you know, make these events work. Um, you know, and, and I, I won't even go there with some of this stuff. I mean, you know, the legendary Sal Turner in the front here. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that Sal was doing when she was, you know, kind of living in her sister's house and kind of, you know, trying to get ready for black metal gigs and storing pig's blood, you know, uh, and, um, and getting people to store pig's blood in a kind of frozen sorbet that they put into somebody else's fridge freezer and then thawed out on the day because this band, um, Watain, um, had come to Liverpool and wanted so many litres of pig's blood, you know. That's, uh, not, that's not even... We just get on the panel. That's not even the craziest story about that show, is it? It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, the, the efforts that, that these committed people will go to. And I think when I see people like that, I think, you know, as long as you've got crazy people like that, you know, uh, then, then you're still, you're still going to have a scene. So that would be the first thing I would, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I, I think certainly Andy's a perfect example of it. It, is, it isn't necessarily bricks and mortar. The Death Wave can be at this particular show, then Death Wave does another show here. It's not about <coughs> that. It's more that it's like when Sal was doing whiplash. It's like that was your... Your guarantee of quality, if you will. Uh, you know, it was a, there was a whiplash show at this. It wasn't, didn't matter if it was in someone's front room or the academy. It didn't matter, and that just goes to show that they they earned that trust with their audience that, that it was going to be a good show. I was going to get acts, and I was going to get bands that you would 
want to come and see as well. It was almost irrelevant where the venue was. Uh, that was a, a nice side to it, you know. Did, did you find that, there, Joe? Did you think that in order to sustain the steam, scene, on me, in order to sustain the scene, um, it's it is about it's going to be about the people. It's going to rest on the shoulders of those individuals. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, like when we were when I was at the panel the other week in, in John Moyes University. Um, Ned introduced me as a promoter and I, I, I always struggle with the term promoter and I've always thought of myself more as a facilitator and like the kind of person, enabler yeah just uh, I, I am a metal enabler that's like metal enabler there we go did you last night I went to see a load of metal enthusiasts and, and metal enablers there we go yeah. I, I give everybody their true drug uh, but I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who I, I know a lot of people and I like to help out people so people come to me for help and it just so happens that bands come to me for help and I'll be like, okay, so I'll try and put them on a little show. I'll try and bands will come to me late notice or in advance, or bands that I know from overseas, friends who want to come and tour the UK. as like, well, if you pass through Liverpool, I'll try and help you out. Uh, originally, when I was putting shows on, I was having three, four bands from all around the world sleeping in, on my mum's living room floor to floor with my little dog running all over them in the morning, and I'm taking them to the local Bell's Cafe for a full English breakfast. And that's that's just what I was doing. You know, I was like, I was facilitating the need for other people. I wasn't really doing it for myself. I was doing it for other people. So I think that you know, there's a lot of people over the years who've been involved in hosting shows who've done it out of the need, out of the need to facilitate that for other people because it's not as though, they, especially since shows stopped at like the, um, the university, which used to be a hub for a lot of shows. Me and Chris Everett used to go to a lot of shows there back in the day. There's some terrible pictures of us uh, drinking carling outside uh, way, way back when, when we first started going to shows. But since they kind of stepped away from doing so many of the uh, alternative metal shows coming through and some, some of them moved through to the O2, or there was a lot less going on. So to support the local bands and give the local bands the opportunities and your friends' bands and get your own bands' opportunities, you had to make those opportunities so it was kind of like originally there was a few people, a few people in friend, a few friends or a few band members who get together and try and put events on. Uh, Matty Jones, who everybody locally, I'm sure, is aware of, I've been known for years, I've been in bands with. Everybody's laughing because you've all known stories, but we're not going to talk about any of those stories because I think there's still children present. But you can we um, do talk about that one day? <laughs> um, you know, there's times where me and him didn't know how to put a show on, but we were putting shows on. We were like, what do we need? What do we have to do? You know, what? Do, what, what do we need to think about? And we were like, right, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow like Sal's suit. Like, do we have to buy cake? Do we have to make sandwiches? Yes. Um, so yes, yeah, Sal, Sal provided cake for many of our shows. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of, I, I feel like the, there's always the need for somebody who's going to be the facilitator, not necessarily from a, like, a, a, a want, but always a need. And I think that's the, the way it is with scenes like Liverpool. There's always a need for it because it's something that's always there. There's always, the music, there's always the musicians. People come to the city again because of the big B band. Everybody wants to come here because of, visit the city because of the music, the heritage, and then people who stay here or people who raised here, they, they will always have a little element of music and they'll be interested in it and it'll develop and then they'll want to do things and they'll be like, oh, there's, not, there's nowhere to do the thing that I want to do, so I'll just do it myself and put other people on. And I think it's just one of those places, kind of like what we were saying with venues before, kind of have a circuit or a school, how you graduate, people kind of, become interested in it, figure out how to do it, they get good at doing what they want to do, and then they want to take the next step, but how do they do it? They do it themselves, and then other people get involved, and then it just develops over time. And where it goes from there, 
it, it kind of disappears or to, to a certain extent. But I think that that's why I was to go back to an earlier comment. I think it's like a perpetual state of flux. It'll always come in waves. In the early 2000s, there was more of a deathcore kind of post-hardcore scene in Liverpool. In about 10 years ago, it was quite a doom city. There was a lot of more doom, death doom, black metal type bands. Then there was a bit of a, a death metal insurgence during the mid, uh, the mid 2010s to the late 2010s. Uh, so this, it does seem to come in waves of what genres, what music is quite popular at the time where coming from the rest of the world and it just kind of grows and swells but then kind of shrinks and then swells with the next big thing. But then there's always going there's always still the same type of people who are around and some of us, some of the older of us among the crowd who have been coming and going among all of these scenes for a long time, but we're still there, still doing the same thing, still kind of learning. It's like we're, you know, we may have been doing it for a long time, but we're still forever learning. Yeah, it's, it's entirely possible that the, the work you're doing now, the shows that you're putting on now, some uh, 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 young person who is wanting want to maybe promote or become a promoter or do an event or do a show or do a festival or whatever it may be will see what you've done and kind of use that as the building blocks to put to what they've done like you say you know you watch sal, sal set the example and you follow that you know certainly talking to, to to john and badger fest and stuff he'd seen things that happened and he'd gone, okay, that's how you do a show, okay, I understand, let's, let's go and do that. And, uh, you know, I know Ollie, uh, our, our friend over there, he would do, he's seen these things as well. So if you were, if you were a young person or someone who wanted to get on the field and start making a difference to shows, it's just, by the way, as a spoiler, there is no money in, in, in promoting metal shows, there is, there is no money in, in, in doing that. But if, say, if you were a young person who wanted to do that, where the hell do you start? Where the hell do you start? I mean, that's an open question. Uh, I was going to say, rock societies definitely deal with that a lot because, you know, there's a lot of passion or, you know, people who want to do things and not really, you know, they're at a brand new city if they're younger or they're just forming a new band or whatnot. So I feel like that happens a lot at the university level. And so rock societies, at least, uh, again, tied into my research, uh, obviously I... I Liverpool's my favorite, I live here, it's my rock society, but I also spent time in Manchester and Leeds um, for northwest of England, sort of, for my project. And I would say compared to other cities, I think Liverpool and Leeds are a lot more DIY than Manchester. I think with Manchester has access to all those O2 arenas, what do they have, like three, four of those now of various sizes and capacities. So for example, for us, um, you know, we sort of have that middle arena, which is where a lot of metal bands who tour around the world would be looking to play. So for example, we have a lot of local acts, we have a lot of either smaller acts throughout England or the world, and then, you know, if they want to play at the Echo, maybe we get Iron Maiden or Slipknot or that sort of thing of that size. We don't really have that middle capacity venue, so most of those people are going to Manchester. I'd say as much as I would love to see a gig here and not take that 11 o'clock train and hope I catch it, um, that is something that Manchester, you know, that's just the city for those sorts of things. We're not probably gonna see Megadeth in this city. Are we gonna see Dropkick Murphys? Or, you know, that's sort of, like I said, in the middle level of success, uh, probably like 5,000, 10,000. Uh, again, work for Live Nation, forgive the numbers, uh, capacity venues. Um, but, but bringing it back to rock societies, I think here in Liverpool, it does give you an opportunity that if you are young and enthusiastic and otherwise know nothing of what to do, you're sort of in this, wonderful area where there's a lot of DIY things that can happen and you know like 
I feel like my friend Alex from Rockstock years ago, I feel like the reason we started working with Deathwave was one day he just went up to Andy and was like, oh, hi, can my band play here? And Andy was like, who are you? But, you know, and I think a lot of that happens in the city. And then, you know, on campus, just even starting with the money available, you know, student societies, we don't have a lot of money, but it's something. It's not out of pocket to book a venue or borrow equipment. Whereas when you don't have that opportunity and it is out of pocket, you know, it can add up pretty quickly. So I think that is at least one opportunity we have on the other cities around us. Um, is it, it, I know the original question was how do you find it? You do need to know where to look and ask other students or, you know, be really bold and just ask Andy how to play for a Death Wave gig. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I think it is friendlier in that sense that we, I think most of the Liverpool scene, we sort of know who we are, we know where we stand, and we want to help each other get there and support each, each other, because you don't know when you have a gig, if a band falls out, you know, you want to be able to still put your gig on, so then if you have this other band in your back pocket who wants to play, you know, it, it just sort of, we all help each other, don't we? I was going to say, just as, in, in a way of answering the question, is kind of like my, a bit of a story from me, which was uh, my, my very first band, uh, Sinistic Under Torture, which most of the members I met, uh, actually, at one of the Salisbury Plus shows, when Decapitated, play, uh, Garotted, Dilacerate, and Dam played in the Zanzibar. 2005. 2005. <laughs> uh, I met, uh, I met the, the, the then, who then became the vocalist, Joe Stamps, who's now the vocalist for Hakate and Thrones. Um, I met him in the queue, and that's how that, like, we kind of got together and we formed our band then. Uh, the first show that that band ever played, I actually don't recall how we got the show, but we played above a kebab shop. Uh, so we played, a, it was a venue called the, um, the Dresler Lounge. It did become the Melody Lounge, I think it was called, or Lyrics Lounge for a little while. On, um, it's above Grilla, uh, kind of by bumper, on, uh, on Hardman Street. Uh, it was a terrible venue. Uh, it sounded terrible, but it was the first show. Like my mum came to see it, a lot of my friends came to see it. It was the first time I was ever on stage, and I was terrified. I had no idea what to do. Uh, my bass broke, uh, my cable <coughs> broke, and it was terrible. But it was fantastic at the same time. Uh, but I, I actually couldn't remember. It was probably some kind of message through MySpace of "Can we play your all day?" There was a guy called Shawnee. Shawnee used to do a Shawnee. Shawnee. <laughs> Um, he used to put a lot, of, a lot of shows on there. It was like a Liverpool punk guy. He used to just put bands on, and it, again, very much in a facilitator uh, style. Um, bands you wanted to play, he was like, yep, I'll put you on. And just put together, cobbled together a lineup, found a venue, made a flyer. I remember when I was living in Bootle, he, he walked from like one side of the city to the other to come and give me like an envelope full of flyers, which I've still got of like loads of people, like boxes on them and stuff. And I'm like, why are the boxes on the flyer? But never mind. Uh, and then later on, like um, a, a band that I joined, the Aroma, um, where really early on when we thought we were looking for shows, we started about 2005, 2006, we were ready to play shows. First show we got was not in Liverpool. We were all from Liverpool, we'd all met in Liverpool, we all knew each other from the, the, the old days in Quiggan since we were teenagers. And the first show that we got was actually in Burnley. It was uh, because we, um, I don't think, I think Sal was on a bit of a sabbatical from doing shows at the time. There wasn't really much going on for death metal in Liverpool, um, so there was no opportunities. There was a couple of shows which I'd managed to put on um, with Diamantian in Liverpool, uh, but 
the first opportunity that we actually got was outside of Liverpool, which was quite a, quite a sad thing because every band who you know, becomes a band wants to play in front of a hometown crowd. But it was just the way that it fell. There wasn't the opportunity and none of us really had a clue what we were doing, musically or promotional-wise. <laughs> so, uh, and it's re reflected in our music as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, that's, where do you start? Who do you go to? There isn't any kind of email, this person will sort you out. It's kind of, you kind of learn by doing, you learn by going to events. Like there was, I remember there was times where I'd go to shows in Manchester and Jilly's Rockwell, all the music box, and I was given the sound guy demo CDs, and he's like, why are you giving me this on the sound guy? I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Tell me what you think of the demo. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna message you on MySpace, aren't I? Go away, never saw them again. Actually, it turns out it's Mario Sozo, so a lot of people do now. <laughs> and uh, I still, he still jokes about it to this day, and he still reckons he's got the CDs, but I don't think he has. But yeah, that's it. Where do you go? Where do you start? I, I think, and I'll, I'll answer that, I'll fill that. Um, I think that um, a lot of the times, a friend of mine, he's a, he's a lampy and he does the lighting stuff for bands, he, he says, uh, whenever I'm out of work or I'm not doing anything, he always says, um, networking is better than not working. And what he means by that is that if you ever like, you know, well, I don't know what the next move is, I don't know what am I supposed to do here, what's the next thing is, to go to a show, go to something like this, or go to a, a this one, or whatever you, you, you may go, and start talking to people, because what's very apparent here is you have a wealth of, just in this room alone, you have a wealth of knowledge of approachable people, like Joe, you can just go, listen, where do I get flyers printed off? How do I do this? How do I get in touch with Liverpool University and talk to the people there to get so I can get invite them to the show? The answers are, it seems, quite readily available here. And it's just a case of going to shows and talking to people. I think that obviously the case of, 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 of an internet age is that people go, well, if I can't email that person, I'm never going to get in touch with them. Well, how about you can see them in real life and talk to them? and actually grill them a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm sure that, that that's entirely possible at any night of the week. I mean, what was encouraging, tell you just a quick sidebar, that Joe uh, is doing an event soon. He was looking to do an event this year. And so we approached the, uh, the outpost, outpost, which was formerly Maguire's pizza bar, and he asked what dates they were free so we could get this in. And it was all booked up till the new year. Those shows are happening, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, they're not maybe all metal. There's quite a lot of them are metal. They are happening and they are occurring out there. If you're a young person in this audience now, or an old person, it doesn't matter, or someone listening to this as I'll put it out as a podcast, there, there is every opportunity out there. It's clear that there's talent. That it's clear that there is opportunity. And there's a clear that there is a, a route of, of, of how we can sustain this scene. Um, I, I didn't want to talk about this because everybody's sick to death about it, but it's possibly something that we need to just address before we go to the more enjoyable Q&A. And that's the dreaded pandemic and the dreaded COVID. I mean, it's the last part of the book and it's, it's, it's almost like the, um, the, 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 the dire ending of the book, is that it, uh, but it's a very real prospect. Ned, with, with, with COVID and, and the pandemic, what did you see that change? I mean, I think that um, <clears throat> the way you put it, actually, in one of your um, podcasts is probably the best expression that, you know, COVID, the, the scene here was already not in a great state. It was a bit, it was already sick. And COVID... I believe I said it was already on its arse. Yeah, but got, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being, I'm just sorry, being polite. Way more eloquent I'm just being polite. <laughs> The scene, the scene was already sick, but you know, COVID 
just amplified that. And I think, you know, that that, I think that was the case, that what, what COVID did was it just exposed how precarious and vulnerable, not just metal scenes are, but grassroots music scenes, you know, that aren't the usual suspects, that aren't the ones that get loads of funding and can easily apply for funding. It just exposed how vulnerable those scenes are already, you know, and, and that's why, you know, the work of, of people like, you know, the, the, the Music Venues Foundation and so on was so important, that campaigning, raising awareness about just how precarious these venues were. And of course, you know, COVID was a nightmare for venues, especially, obviously, indoor venues because the social distancing thing, it, you know, you couldn't make it work. You know, I, I, I think you, was it, you, you interviewed the guy from who did the Chester Live Rooms? Uh, yes, sir. And, and, and he, he was saying that, you know, um, you couldn't feasibly, there's no feasible model you can work with in terms of using that social distancing and getting people in. You just couldn't make it, you couldn't make it A, work. a constantly shifting set of rules, yeah, I think you said. Yeah, yeah, constantly shifting set of rules and so on and so forth. So COVID really exposed vulnerabilities that were already there. We know that some venues didn't survive COVID, you know, and, and I, I think that, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that, you know, here in, 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 in the UK and in a, in, in a city like Liverpool, you know, we'll prob the, 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 the probably, we'll probably bounce back in the end, you know, that we've got enough resilience, we've got enough committed people. But, you know, you, if you think about other parts of the world where you've got emerging metal scenes, um, I, I was speaking to a, a, a colleague of mine on the journal that I, I write, uh, I'm an editor for Metal Music Studies Journal, a guy called Nelson Faris Diaz, and he, he was saying to me that, you know, in some places we can talk about after COVID, but in some places we can't talk about after COVID because those scenes will die. Those scenes will go because scenes are all about people. He was, he was very emphatic about yeah. that. He was, there is no returning. There's no return. Because, yeah. Key people, if they go, if they can't do this anymore because they can't, you know, they can't make a living, they can't have enough money to put aside to do it, then it will die. So, you know, that's... I think there is enough resilience in, 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 in some of the people I, I see and meet, but, you know, it shouldn't be underestimated. Nelson, um, Nelson did put, I mean, that's, that's a, it, it's a very bleak outlook and it's a very true outlook, but he did put a very positive spin on it. It was like the, he thought that now people would be, uh, would embrace music again almost, would embrace their venues again. It's like I hadn't seen, you know, I, I, uh, Joe's show was the first show that I went back after the, the pandemic. And one of the young lads came to me and said, I did not know what we were supposed to do in the pit anymore. And I was like, and I pushed him over. And, <laughs> and uh, no, but he was like, I didn't, I didn't. And then afterwards I interviewed everybody, all, all the fans and stuff, and they were, there was elation that they could go to a show. I think they, they, they truly embraced, the, the, not, not the music, yes, but the social aspect of them getting drunk with the mates, watching some bands, Acting the fool and, 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 and just expelling energy. You know, to them it was it was it was omnipresent and all important. You mm -hmm. know, so I think yeah, I, I, I think as, as stark as Nelson's 
uh, statement was, and it was, that it also reminds us, gives us a, a wonderful sort of moment of pause to say, if we don't look after these venues, if we don't look after these places, they will they will fall by the wayside. We, you know, I know a lot of people in the touring and accruing community who have chose to leave that community now because they can't afford to do it. These are techs and backline techs and engineers and producers who have now sold mixing desks and sold equipment to, to go into a nine to five job or whatever it may be. And they're never coming back. They're never coming back. They're, they're, they're kind of not enough money to reinvest in the equipment. They've got all this learning and experience and they're never going to come back. These venues, when they close, Will will never reopen because we will buy it and turn it into accommodation or whatever it may be. These places are, are going. Let's be completely honest here, ladies and gentlemen. We are. We have. You have to do something in this stage. We can't. We can't sit on the bench in this. If you believe, if you are a metal enthusiast, you you, you must do something about this. That's very serious, isn't it? I'm like, and now I throw the mic down and say, "Follow me over the hill in the brave heart." No. Look. Let's get to the more. Let's get around and pause anyway for the panel. By the way. That's what um, let's let's uh, everybody can uh, refresh the drinks and go to the toilet if you like. Uh, uh, I strongly can someone pass me the drink that I've been looking at lovingly for quite some time. Um, so thank you very much. Beautiful. Um, so what we'll do now is we'll do um, a Q and A section, the section that I've been looking forward to the most because when we did this uh, the, uh, the first metal conference. We had like maybe two questions and then we were like, right, you have to get off. Um, we've got time now to, to go and answer whatever you want to talk about. And I do mean whatever you want to talk about. Um, you've got a lot of people on here who are far more knowledgeable than me. If you've got those questions, let's, let's, let's have that. If anyone else put the hand up, I guess that's probably the best way we can do this. And gentlemen over here. I don't know if you can hear, but I might repeat your question. If you so you can say, what is your name, sir? Paul. Hey, Paul, how are we doing? Big shout out for Paul. So resources, ladies and gentlemen. If we had to suggest if someone was doing, I'll kind of stay away from the panel. Now. Um, um, from a resource point of view, I'm starting up a new venue, or I want to put a show on, or I want to put a festival on, or a, 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 a night, or whatever. Well, is one of those resources? Well, the question is, I'm sat here. Three kids and all that. How do I know what's going on? Oh, so you mean from like awareness type of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting, it's a very valid point is that we live in an age of algorithms and stuff and you can miss a show that you were like, oh, when was this show? Did you want to go on it? Oh, it happened two years ago. It's like, you know, that happens. What, are, what resources should people be looking at? Um, I think, first of all, you know, as you, as you mentioned, um, like Facebook and stuff, there are Facebook groups that you can join. That there's one. Um, I think it's, is it Merseyside Rock and Metal events, Joe? There's, there's quite a few. Yeah, there's Merseyside Rock and Metal. Uh, there's, uh, there's uh, Liverpool DIY promoters as well. Uh, yeah, there are a number of like groups which you can follow and join where you get those updates to come through. So maybe like Merseyside Rock and Metal events would yeah. be would be a, a, a good 
a good group to join, you know, you can, and you can keep up, it, it, it'll sort of give you info about new releases, new bands, but also upcoming gigs and so on and so forth. So I'll definitely maybe join one of, one of those groups to see what, what's going on, because I think you're right, that the problem is that you, you won't see this sort of stuff in maybe the Liverpool Echo listings or something like that. It will be, it will be that kind of social media, particular groups and so on that you'd want to, you want to maybe check out. I don't know, are there any kind of blogs or anything? I wasn't going to say blogs, but in addition to just social media groups, it's like if there's a gig that happens and you're like, oh, I really wish I could have gone to that, sort of like what Coop said that like, two years ago, that would have been great. Um, sometimes following those venues on social media, because they'll post other gigs that are coming up or that band that you would have wanted to see, that they're obviously doing other things, even if they're not in Liverpool, but some of the bands that might have opened for them that night. Um, I'd say a lot of, I'd say most up and coming bands really rely on social media, especially since they're not gonna get that kind of advertisement from like the radio or TV or, um, you know, like a, a band that's a household name would. So I'd say that's another method that I've definitely used. That's like, I've never been to that venue and then research the whole venue and see what other gigs they have coming up. You just might find something that you would have wanted to go to. That's interesting that you talk about venues and being that you should follow, not as, as well as, but it's, or instead of, but in, to follow a venue rather than a band because then, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that, like, yeah. Um, Certainly, I think we, we all try and beat the algorithm, don't we, with social media, where we're like, okay, what do I have to, you know, how do I get rid of these adverts, and I don't, I don't want to see this, and I don't want that, and we kind of try and curate our, our feed, if you will, or whatever we do. Just as a quick question, well, how do you get your information for, for gigs, then? What would you... Well, I was, I was sort of gravitate to the obvious choice, like the O2, hmm. what's going on there, or even Manchester, actually. I mean, this sad thing is, if I'm looking, like, what gigs are coming up, I'm more likely to look at like the Ritz, yeah. the O2 in Manchester than I am the local venues because I'll be honest, I don't know anymore what the local venues are for the yeah. local tech metal gigs. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you're going to go to a show with a few hundred people, I don't know where those venues are, so I'm gravitating towards the obvious candidates really. You know? Yeah, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. I think that, you know, we'll, we'll certainly have put when I put on, I'll put on this, uh, the group for this, this, this kind of show here and today. We'll put on some list of some venues I think that we will put on there so you can hyperlink to them if you will and, and do that. I think that's going to be, that's really interesting to hear that because I often, because I'm involved in so many shows and with so many bands, I, I follow a lot of people but then I realise that there are people like yourself who do, don't have the time to do that. Yeah, you know, you're a family man, you don't yeah, see yeah, it of course. anymore so yeah. you go to the obvious stuff. Yeah. That's the, uh, I think that's incredible. That's the sad incredible. state you get to. Like. <laughs> anybody else? Let's throw some questions out. Anybody else? I'll kind of find a way over it if anybody wants to go. Gentlemen over there, your name is sir? Shout out for Patrick. Yeah. Oh, Patrick. <laughs> I think we can try. I think it's a bit of a follow-up. Sure. Can we answer that? Are we, are we, if we had to give it like a traffic light system, where are we at, if you will, on, on the scene? <laughs> strong number, strong, strong number, strong, strong number. Like there, there are, there are shows, um, there are shows happening. There's shows that have happened, and there's more which are coming up. There's like bands such as Loath who've um, who are booked in to play in the Arts Club, which is, I believe the show's now sold out. It's, it's so it's a, a local Liverpool band who are coming back. Who've got they've gone supernova in the last two, two, three years. 
Uh, they're playing good venues, they're playing to good sized crowds. Their most recent album release show in the, it was in the O2, the smaller room, the O2 uh, O2. Originally it was in Jimmy's, but it sold out so fast that they upgraded to the O2, which is an amazing site. So I'd say that it's not necessarily as what we were discussing before, it's not like playing at the Echo Arena, or the MS Arena it's called now. It'll always be the Echo though. Uh, it's, it's like the MEN, the MEN will always be the MEN. I don't even know what it's called these days. No one, no one cares, it's the, it's the MEN. It's the Marks and Spencer's, the Marks and Spencer's arena. Wow. This is a very specific example and does not speak for the scene as a whole, but I know earlier they were saying how sad they were that Zanzibar shut, and I will say last week Rock Sock had a Halloween gig at Zanzibar, and they've redone it recently, and they still have that wonderful sound equipment, so maybe we need to book some more things in the reopened Zanzibar. Um, but I think a lot of, I, I'd say maybe there is a lot less talking and actual planning because people are still getting up off their feet again and I know um, like I've spoken to people in this room tonight who've talked about like oh during COVID uh, my bandmate and I wrote a ton of songs we're trying to get a band together so I think some people use the pandemic as sort of time to reflect and hone music for when we're back up and running how great that would be um, so again that's a very specific example it was a private event just for rock societies but even like if venues that we think may be shutting or events that we haven't gone to in a while I was very excited to see that we had three student bands ready to play and the last band couldn't play because they kicked through the drum so then yeah so one of the bands didn't even get to play but we, yeah so it's it's good to see that people are ready to gig again and the venues in town they want us to gig so if you don't see a show I'd say well, for, if it was me personally, first I'd bother Andy. I always bother Andy with all of my brilliant ideas. So get Andy on board, get Deathwave involved, and just whatever bands you want to see or whatever, just sort of talk about it, get those, get the words out there. If you know a band who wants to play, tell people who can make that happen, and sort of we can resurrect our scene together, I guess. I, I think um, just going back on what Joe said, there loads a really good example of what we're kind of talking about. So anybody that isn't aware, though, they're sort of on the crest of a wave, really, at the moment, and they're, they're, they're going to be very successful, the kids and the death tones and what have you. There is a, like, I didn't want to say ecosystem, but that's the truth of it, is that eventually they grow up and they sell out the arts club, you know what I mean? And they're very proud of where they come from. And it's a really nice story of, of them being you know, a nothing, you know, band from the beginning with very few followers to being something very, very beautiful. Um, and I think that that's, that's really, really interesting. That we say. I think, I think I agree with Joe, I don't know about anybody else does, that we are a strong amber, that we are. There is a want. There are venues, there are talent, and that is the, the sort of the, the triforce of power there that means that we, we do have a strong scene. It's the, if you don't have one of those things, it becomes very difficult. It's like building a fire, and eventually, you know, I think we've got that. We think we've got sparks, I think we've got embers, but they have to be watched. That fire can't go out, you know. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, so you, when you look for your, your, your venues and shows, have you seen things you like? I think I might go to that, or have you seen anything coming up? Not really, because I, I, I used to live in Manchester. Okay. I've been eight years, and so obviously, yeah, like Paul said, it doesn't gravitate towards the gigs in Manchester, because where I expect things to be. Mm -hmm. But I would love to find some local gigs, I just haven't had them sort of find them. Yeah. yeah. So, the university metal is also pretty high. And what I've heard today is also that there's a lot of, over the years, I don't know between you have the black metal, the dash metal, the other stuff. 
See what type of things that do. I think it's a, something we touched on a little bit earlier is the lack of the kind of mid-tier venues. Uh, so there's loads of the underground venues, there's loads of the, the, the back room of a pizza bar venues, uh, but there's no none of the mid-tier venues. Which, well, which just, so, just so I understand, it, what are we saying is a mid-level venue then from a capacity and a sort of a framework? I would say 200 to 500. Okay. Yeah, the, the, of that kind of, so a lot of the tours that come through the UK for like the Death, the Doom, uh, Black Metal, you know, the, the UK tours rather than local bands, they usually skip by Liverpool because there, is, um, because there aren't the promoters in Liverpool who operate at such a level and there aren't the venues there to actually do that. In the past I've put on Cal Decapitation in the Magnet, uh, I think four or five years ago, um, and that was one, one of the last kind of really big death metal shows that I, I recall in the city. Uh, I think I put out an extreme noise terror on since then, more of kind of hardcore punk, grindcore. And I was also in the Magnet, and I was in those, those two shows were in collaboration with uh, another promoter from uh, Fiesta Bombarda, actually from completely outside of the metal scene, but a guy that I went to university with. So I think that without those venues and without booking agencies coming towards Liverpool, like the, I, I've, I've been on a number of mailing mail outs. So what, Normally, when tours get booked before the way before they're announced, they go out as mail outs to people on uh, trusted lists for people to try and get up the shows. Uh, and as a Liverpool promoter, like based promoter, I don't really get many emails anymore. I do get a lot of emails saying, "Would you like to book this show in Manchester, or would you like to put this show on in Leeds?" Because I've been known to put on shows in those cities. So quite often, I'll, if, a, if it's a show that I am interested in, yeah, I'll put it on in Liverpool. Uh, we were thinking Manchester. So, you know, the booking agencies who have been in the, in the game for a long time, who have got a route in mind, tend to skip by. Like the amount of huge bands that I've seen in, uh, in Liverpool over the years, seeing uh, Trivium open for, opening for Three Inches of Blood in, in Liverpool University, seeing Lamb of God in front of like seven people with one guitarist because the other one was too drunk from the night before in Glasgow. Uh, see, seeing all kinds of these shows, massive turnouts or no turnouts of the huge bands. Uh, it just doesn't really happen anymore because I don't really know how the university used to work it, but when they used to host shows, they used to always get the tours going through. Seeing Biffy Clyro as main support for Taproot, uh, you know, cr crazy lineups that used to come through Liverpool, but nothing like that actually comes through anymore. And it, there's, there's other people, there's other cities like I see the same thing um, where I've seen people talk about recently where. I used to see all the time on UK tour routes on tour flyers back in the day, but I never see anymore. I'm like, do gigs happen there anymore? And I wonder if they're having similar conversations to us. I think Leeds is in a similar situation to us, actually, for 
one specific example is this upcoming weekend is Damnation Festival, which I know is my favorite festival. I go every year that I can. It's part of the reason I planned my trip around this time. Um, but I know as of next year, it's going home to Manchester. As Damnation originally started in Manchester, and the way I saw it was like, oh, God, not another gig in Manchester. Why do we have to go to the O2s again? And a big part of my research with rock societies was that Leeds Rock Sock were so big with being at Damnation and even like selling, I have my hoodie from them over there. Actually, they even sold merch at Damnation a few times. And it was really nice that this giant university union could be a multi-stage metal event. And it was like one night where we all took over that university. And yeah, it was it's such a great atmosphere. And knowing that now it's moving to Manchester, I'm even more excited to go this weekend since that sold out like the second week. It wasn't canceled because of COVID. Everyone was like, yes, Damnation's back. But I, I would imagine they're in a similar boat as us. It's just so many of their gigs that they used to get maybe 10 years ago, five years ago. I think it's just so many bands are like, why would we bother with Liverpool or Leeds when we can just go to Manchester, get the bigger crowd one night, and then move on where, wherever else we're going. So um, sort of to your point, I don't think Liverpool's the only city with that problem, but at the same time, I'm with you. It would be really nice if we could get some of those gigs back here and maybe we do need a venue where these things can happen at that, that larger size, medium venue size. Yeah, I just wanted to come in there if I could. I, I think that um, this is an important point about the difference between Manchester and Liverpool. I think that um, there's a, I can't remember the name of the, the, the scholars, but they, they talk about uh, American touring circuits in, in a particular way, and they talk about the idea of a performance shadow. So if you have um, kind of particular touring circuits where you have one city where major tours normally go through, and then a nearby city to that major city, that city is in the performance shadow. And I think, to an extent, you can talk about Liverpool, like it or not, as being in the performance shadow of Manchester. Now, there are particular historical reasons for that. Actually, I talk about in the book, you know, that, that um, when Man what Manchester did very early on in the sort of 1980s, they invested in arenas. Uh, I think part of the reason was they wanted to uh, attract the Olympic Games to Manchester. It didn't succeed, but that on the back of that, they built what became the MEN Arena. Now, the, ME, the MEN Arena, for a significant period of time, was the major North England arena, right? So. Liverpool, prior to that, Liverpool had been a regular stop for bands, you know? So when, when, I was, when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, in my early 20s, people like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, they all played places like the Liverpool Royal Court on a regular basis. But back in those days, bands would regularly play all over the UK because at that time, there wasn't really an arena circuit. Once the arena circuit comes in, and you've got hubs like, obviously, London, but places like Manchester and so on, 
then what you find is it's more financially beneficial for bands and the whole touring ensemble that they have to go to these cities. What Liverpool did, while Manchester was investing in arenas, Liverpool invested in tourism. So they saw music tourism, so they said, we're, we're going to have cultural quarters, we're going to have a, a, a Matthew Street quarter, Cavern City quarter, etc., etc. So they, what they did is that, you know, they, they made those decisions. Those were city council decisions and so on. And that has affected, you know, uh, um, rather sadly, actually, one of the people I interviewed them for the book um, is no longer with us, Malcolm Dome, the, the, the rock journalist. Uh, I, I managed to talk to him for the book. And he died earlier this week. And, and, and Malcolm said to me, he said, you know, in touring terms, Liverpool is seen as a B market. Manchester is an A market, right? So what that means is that Liverpool, we, we shouldn't compare Liverpool to Manchester because they've taken on those trajectories historically. And I think it's very difficult to redress that. You can't, you can't close that gap. What you can do is take advantage of it. And I think one of the people I interviewed said a really interesting thing. They said, you know what, in, in Manchester they're spoiled because they get all of these bands who go through that city. We've got to work harder. So what, 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 some, you know, what some of the people in this room have done is they've got niche bands in, bands that maybe you know, people, wouldn't make major touring circuits in Manchester. So you get some really kind of more obscure kind of uh, black metal stuff or, or death metal bands coming through uh, Liverpool and, and doing okay. So I think what you have to do, one of the things that you have to do is to accept it and to kind of say, okay, how can we turn that into our advantage? You know, you, you're always going to get, you know, Slipknot or Def Leppard or whoever now and again come into the Echo Arena or, or the M&S Arena or wherever it's called now. But by and large, and, and, and now and again you'll get Skindred or play at um, the O2 Academy in Liverpool, and now and again you'll get bands playing at the Arts Club. But what you're going to have to do is find a way to make Liverpool attractive to maybe the bands that don't necessarily form that part of the A circuit. Of course, that's one way. Of course, the other way is to maybe invest shared loads of money in, in, in you know, in, in if you really want to bring some of these bands like Megadeth and Overkill, etc., to Liverpool, you've got to invest a shit ton of money in, into, into a venue. In, and into promoting that because you're going to have to say we'll make it worth your while <coughs> coming here rather than Manchester. Sorry, you wanted to. I have a question. So with the whole Brexit shape, yeah. um, is it based on the Like Scandinavian bands, don't just go up to Manchester, 
do a full UK tour, maybe type school menus, you'll get the people coming in, probably more people than you see you, just in those two venues, and actually encourage them to come over, use the money that they spend on making the visas work for one more they have to do, and actually encourage them to do Manchester and Liverpool, slightly small venues for more people to come along. Like those two things, I think. Can, can I feel this one just a quick second? I just, uh, I, you're 100% right. That's 100% a model that should be followed. And I would argue is 100% a model that is happening. Touring is based 100% on risk. Everything is, is risk uh, attributed. How much money will we lose? Now that's shifted all the way over to, um, now it's all come up about the merch. So the band's making money by music. So now everything's on the tour. So now everything's got to be placed. Like when you're a huge band like the Rolling Stones, it's which country are you playing? It's the, because the performance shadow, which I think is a very fascinating thing that, that Ned talks about in the book and brought up there, is fascinating. Is it's just a case of reducing that shadow. Now I'll give you a, a, a very straightforward example as a can of where I think it is changing. There's a band called Fozzy, and um, we've got some friends in, in that band, and they're, they're fairly, you know, they're, they're of note. You know, they'll, they'll play festivals, they'll play tours, they'll, they'll sell venues. And when they came over uh, before the pandemic, they played the Chester Live Rooms, and it was a, it was a really good event. I think they sold it out near, near as Dan did, and it was really well received. The band talked about it, and, and, and immediately the, the lead singer Chris Jericho was like, um, "We will always play this this place." And then they always played Manchester. So we kind of kind of snuck into their touring cycle, and then uh, they Chris is a huge Beatles fan, and he wanted to play in the cabin. So now they're playing. So they're actually playing Chester, Liverpool, and Manchester. Now that should be taboo. That should be well, you can't do that it's because it's too close by. But here's the catch: they're not all on the road. They're all spread out. So if they're, the, the, the gentleman kind of looks after them and does their uh, uh, booking and stuff. A gentleman called Mark is. They will look at that now and they will go, okay, well, hold on a second. We can tour you. Touring the UK isn't used, it never was, but it, it very much now is not just a case of going around once and that's it. Now, the thought process is if we can go around a number of times, you know, think of someone like Metallica when they tour the Black Album and they just keep going back to these places. They're on the same run. They just keep going back around and we are seeing that. We are seeing that. The, the live rooms is a fantastic example of that. That's now on the, the, the touring cycle for a lot of bands. Sort of mid-tier uh, American rock and metal bands are going there. Bands like Nitro right Nonpoint there, which would have never even played in this country, and they played there. So they go because they've, they've, they've invested, now not anywhere near as much as arena levels investments, they've just invested in their venue. Simple things like the backstage area, the green rooms have been improved, and showers and things like that have been up. It doesn't need as much investment as we initially think. The venues need support. And here's the other thing that kind of leads on from that. The money that the venues get to, which isn't going to come from the government, we're not going to get helped out by the government on this because of Brexit. We're not going to get helped out by the council. We can talk at length about that. I've spoke to people from UNESCO and stuff. We're not going to get helped out by that. We're going to have to help ourselves on this. And the way it works is that if you go to see a local group of bands, four or five bands, and you pay your money and you buy your beer and, or pizza if it's Maguire's or whatever you do, and all that money that gets invested into that venue helps them buy a shower, buy toilets, buy uh, railings, buy places to park buses, and that all slowly builds in. And, slow, and the live rooms is a perfect example of, of this happening, where slowly, over time, they've got more and more people, so the venue's got better, it's got better quality, they've treated people right, the stage manager's great there, 
And the people that do the sound are great, the people that do security, they've invested in all this. They, they, they become very attractive, like Ned was saying, we've got to make ourselves attractive to these tour acts. It is happening, I would argue it is happening, and I 100% agree with you that I think that that's something that we should be leaning into. Sorry. Oh, no, I just wanted to add to what you were saying. Um, this summer I worked at a venue in Boston as the merchandise ma manager for the whole venue, so every time a tour came in, we were responsible for selling and everything. And to your point about how the venue, I think people really underestimate how expensive a gig really is and how much money bands actually make and how much money promoters actually make. And even venues, if it's not a huge concert venue, they may even take a loss if you don't sell a lot of tickets. And especially after COVID, um, you know, there's been substantial losses or reduced rates for tickets. Um, so back to what I do with merchandising, um, there was an article, God, maybe five to 10 years ago, clearly I remember it well, but in um, Metal Hammer about how important it is to buy merchandise for bands that are up and coming, like like you said, Guns N' Roses, those type of bands, they'll be fine. They always they do more than break even. They charge over a hundred dollars for their cheap tickets, and you know their T-shirts are sixty. But they will be fine. I don't mean you need to buy their T-shirt for them to survive. They will always be fine. I mean, if you see a local band, hence why I have Kitty Staunton on my T-shirt, the lead singer of Novacrow. It's you know like this T-shirt for Novacrow. You know they got to buy beers at the end of the night or whatever. All I don't know how many other T-shirts they sold that night besides this one. But a lot of bands, that is like their main revenue because they break even or they lose money on a gig. Um, and sometimes I know like the student band, excuse me, student bands and student run events. I'm very anti this, but again, not everyone has a music background like me, but people do ask bands, oh, you play for free, it's for the exposure, you'll get so many fans. And it's like, we all know that's a hawk of crap. They're like, this, <laughs> this is, they can play and they will get exposure, but people, you know, with Spotify and whatnot, we all expect music right now to be free. If I want to listen to something, I'm going to listen to it right now. Why should I have to pay for it and things like that? I'm not saying anyone in this room feels that way, but I think, um, you know, it's easier to access music and things like that. So it is a lot harder for people to actually tour and make money and keep touring and keep putting out new music and get their tour bus up to date and everything. So, um, yeah, that's just another side of it. Again, it's not... Buying merch doesn't solve all the problems, but I'd say when you go to an event, buy the beer, buy the pizza, buy the merch, whatever you can afford and you support if you really liked the band, pay for their music, you know, things like that um, go a long way with helping tours and getting bands to smaller cities like Liverpool. Just to add on to that as well, the, you know, the, the joke about uh, can we play for free? I, th I think most people don't realize that bands are already at a deficit just being at a show. So playing for free is even more at a deficit. So, um, but just to answer a little, your question a little bit more about kind of post-Brexit and the world. And the one thing which I spoke to, uh, I spoke to Ned about, I spoke to Cooper about on the podcast about like the future of music in the UK. Um, I feel like the regarding bands, like UK bands, Playing in the UK, I think they go. I think there's going to be more of more scenes growing in the B cities, you know, if you will. Um, most recently, my my own band did a, a brief tour earlier this year, um, just after lockdown lifted. Got to play a couple of shows in the major cities. Uh, we did Nottingham, Manchester, and London. Sadly, Glasgow was cancelled because of various restrictions up in Scotland. Uh, and all the shows were great. They were all like two of the shows were sold out. One of them was incredibly well attended. 
uh, and it was great, we had a great run. Um, but then a few weeks later I played in Bridgewater um, in Somerset, I think. Uh, I couldn't, couldn't point to, couldn't tell you where it was on a map, but we played a show in Bridgewater, and that show we, uh, we headlined, and we sold more merchandise at that one show than we did at the other three shows. So that, that said to me, I was like, so there's, there was plenty of people here, so why, why don't bands play in Bridgewater? Is it because there's another city nearby which is more popular? Probably not, because I don't know where it is on a map. Uh, but I was like, so, and it was since then, I was like, so I need to start, find, get, putting together a group, of, uh, like a, a list of all of these small cities where there are scenes, where there are promoters, um, and using you know, my bands as an opportunity to go and play in these cities. Uh, I'm lucky enough to play in a, a, a well-established band um, which can pull a crowd in most, most cities. So if we were to go and play in these cities and we, got, we get local bands to come and play with us, then hopefully people will come and attend the show. People will then see it, or the local people will see it, or the local aspiring musicians, aspiring bands, maybe given the opportunity to go. They're like, oh wow, a band's playing in my tiny city, in my little seaside resort city. Great, yeah, that would be fantastic. So it's my personal intention to do that more with my own bands. As I've, I've played countless shows in London, in Manchester, in Birmingham, in Glasgow, in Edinburgh. Uh, so I think it's time, following Brexit, that people are going to do that more. On the flip side of it, the European bands and uh, bands from the rest of the world tour in the UK. Now that there's increased expenses, uh, which they need to recoup from touring, I think that there's going to be longer runs of UK tours. And there's a, there's a there, it's two UK bands that I've seen recently who are doing a run together, Red Method and Ghosts of Atlantis. And I think they're doing 9, 10, 11, 12 UK dates. It's got to about 14, 15. Yeah, it's, it's, I was like, on a UK tour, I was like, yeah. are you playing the same city several times? No, they're not. They're playing a whole bunch of different cities. And I'm like, I, I didn't know there was promoters in these. And I looked on, I was like, oh, they're playing Bridgewater. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I was like, yeah, there you go. So they'll definitely have a good crowd there, I'm sure. So I think that you know, more bands coming to the UK from outside of Europe, uh, from outside the UK, are going to be put into a position they have to tour. I've just been approached by a band to watch, I won't name because it's not announced yet, but they're trying to uh, organise a tour next June. Uh, they said, right, we've got three shows booked, we want to do 12. And I'm like, wait, a few years ago, Joe, like Joe from a few years ago would have been like, oh, no, you don't want to do 10 shows in the UK. And now I'm like, oh yeah, there you go, there's 15 promoters' names from the cities that I've kind of found people that might be able to help you in. It's like, there might not be big crowds, there might not be big guarantees, but if you want the shows, the opportunities are there. So I do think that over time, not that I'm ever going to say that Brexit was a good thing, but I think it might actually, some good things might sprout out of it in the music scene. Yeah, it could go either way. It, you know, bands might only ever play in Blackpool from now on. <laughs> uh, and um, you, you might never get to see them. You may never see any shows that you actually want to in Liverpool that come through. Dark Tranquility may never come back. There we go. So you could always get the train and the 11 o'clock train home. Everybody's done that dash to the 11 o'clock train home. But I, I do think that, to answer your question, to go back to that, I do think that you know, UK bands are going to be reaching out to these kind of smaller beat, beat, beat venues, if you will, beat cities terrible way of putting it, but you know, smaller places, uh, smaller scenes, uh, and I think European and international acts are also going to do the same, purely because they have to for financial reasons. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting that it, the, the problem is almost 
a good turn into a good thing. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to go over into the UK, we have to spend more time there. If we're going to go and tour around uh, Europe, we have to spend more time there. So let's book more shows. It's kind of it's a weird thing. Where it's like, oh, that was a problem. It's actually been turned to our advantage. I'm always reminded of the story that uh, the Iron Maiden talk about uh, when they, they were playing shows in South America. The, the reason, they, why, why did you pick these places? And what they did is they went on um, like torrent sites and download sites and found out where they were getting the most amount of traffic from. And they were like, well, let's book a show there. And it, the reason I'm bringing that up is because it's about an intelligent thing. You would have never thought of playing Bridgewater, but now it's probably going to be on your touring cycle, for want of a better way of saying it. And that's the thing that I kind of, I think we have to, have to look at. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's all about that the risk and the reward factor of, of, of unfortunately of touring. I just want to, before we answer the next question, I just want to um, just have a quick mention about Malcolm Dome, um, and I just want to raise a, a glass to the gentleman, if we could all do that. Um, nice one, Malcolm. Um, anyone that knew Malcolm Dome? And he is, in, uh, he is all over the book as well. Um, he's one of those people that will never come along again, um, and a hugely important character what he did for you know uh, rock journalism and the support of, of, of metal music is, is cannot be underestimated amazing 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 figure there uh, mr malcolm Durham. Um, okay so we any more questions then i'll feel some more man at the back there if you can speak up you <laughs> the legend the legend that is jj my good friend my good friend i'm gonna use you i'm gonna use your mic because i love it i love it no i just wanted to say to you guys um my new project, which is called Exit Live, after running the Crazy House for 25 years, we've recently started talking to something called the Liverpool Region Music Board, all right, which I'm sure you guys are aware of. And I've recently had conversations with Rotherham and Andy Burnham. Andy Burnham's a massive music fan. They've realised that they haven't really invested in music in this city in the way that it should have been invested. It's there. It's coming. People like you need to get on to the, you know, the places you don't really feel comfortable with, with suits and ties, and start telling them that this is important. Promoting Ned's book, you know, telling them that there's a history. You know, I was lucky enough to, to be involved with Pantera at the Royal Court and Sepultura and all sorts of things. So I'm able to stand there and really, really give them shit for not doing this. But I think if you guys really, really take this opportunity that's here right now, I think you'll really, really change the future and you'll probably get it back to how it was when we had the last time this happened, which was 1980, probably 1987, 2001, you know, that kind of period. So I would say really, really go and get into the bodies and push them and let them know that you exist, to be honest with you. And secondly, I'm sitting on a nice little calendar, currently at the Zanzibar. There's only two shows in January at the end of the month. The entire month's clear. So why don't you come and do something? Because it's owned by the same people that used to own the greatest club in this city. Thanks. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, they say national treasure. That gets banded around a lot. Thank you, JJ. Eloquence as always. He's, and, 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 and as always, he's right. Um, what JA is talking about is that, yeah, we do. This, this com these conversations represent those starting points where we are going to go to these people and say, look, we know, we talk to people, we know there's facilities, we know there's talent, we know there's ability, we know there's people out there. Like, let's start the process, let's start things moving. It's 
We're going to put, plant seeds over the next months and years that we may not see the, the fruits of, but we should still plant them. Uh, we should still do that. Eloquence is always a fantastic jade. Anybody else? Any more questions? There are some I haven't talked about. Yeah, um, sorry. Your name is, sorry, sir? I'm Freddie. Of course he's, of course he's Freddie. Ladies and gentlemen, Freddie, I'll tell you the phone. Still away, so, uh, yeah, so a lot of the sort of uh, the focus on this talk has been on the venues and the promoting side of things, kind of the backstage side of things. But having been in bands myself um, um, and having played with loads of bands and seen all loads of bands all over the UK, um, there's always I've, I've seen bands play and do really good shows in Manchester or anywhere else, and then they come to Liverpool and they do you know find a venue, a decent venue or whatever, and there's still nobody that comes around. Uh, I myself with Novaco, we had like maybe three or four decent shows in the past three years in Liverpool, and now we really hesitate to book any more shows here because, as well promoted as they can be, people just don't come. So I know a lot, of, a lot of the focus has been on putting. Uh, sorry, a lot of the focus has been on the promotion venues, but how much do you think is down to the fans themselves and the actual people that make the scene to kind of step up and do something about it? Guys, about the problems that. Are, Attendance at shows, <laughs> it's, it's always going to be a difficult one trying to, because sometimes you do feel like you are trying to persuade people, trying to coax them out, and like, how do you do that, like you book bands, you book good bands, the best bands, who can, you know, it's, it's really difficult to, try, difficult to try and build up the show's profile, like uh, I've had my, as a promoter, facilitator, however you want to title it, I've put on shows to a handful of people in the smallest venues to fill it up larger venues, like I said, I put on smaller shows in Outpost and I put larger shows on in Magnet and I've had all kinds of crowds. Um, generally it's down to the, I've found that just the profile of the band, um, but when you want to bring the larger crowds to the smaller shows, it's trying to give them, it's trying, it is, it's, it's part down to the, the audience, to the crowd, which trying to give them a reason to go because there's, there's so, we've all said that there's so much talent, there's so much ability out there, there's so many smaller underground bands who are absolutely killing it. We're trying to put them, in, trying to put them in front of people on the stage, in front of people for people to pay attention is the, the million dollar question. How do you do it? How do you bring people down? And I think a lot of it happens by accident. It's, um, it's you know, when you've built up a, a venue which happens to have a good scene or a good reputation or you're working with a promoter, the amount of, the amount of whiplash shows that I went to but that I didn't really know the bands and it turned out I actually didn't like the bands uh, but I was still there. There was <coughs> especially a lot of like the more kind of black metal stuff that it just was particularly scene. Chris will hate me for this but I went to see Alcest in the, in the crazy house and I, I really did not enjoy that show. Uh, uh, well, I seen them. I was still uh, if I could see them. Uh, but I went to the show because I knew that it was Whiplash. So I think that, that it's something that we can that needs to be developed is like that kind of name, which becomes synonymous with positive. Like that's uh, I, I used to just put on shows just under like under a bunch of different names and different acronyms and stuff, and then I eventually kind of put it together under the title of UK Slamfest uh, and UK Slamfest events to try and give everything under a one name and then that's why we ended up putting today's event i, I got um i got the venue to add us as a, um, a co-host so i could try and promote it that way as well so i think people it's while it is uksf the kind of events that i do i put on plenty of different um, different uh, acts um 
to try and just have one coherent location for people to go to to see different events. Uh, and then people will come to different events because they're aware of the reputation of UK Slamfest or UKSF or uh, however it is. So uh, it's, it's difficult, it's kind of, who, who, who do you hold responsible for a good event? Is it the people who come there? Is it a good event if there's nobody there? Um, so it's, it, there's, a, there's a huge kind of psychological argument really about how you get those people there. But I think something which does, like, like I, I've put on events, Sal's put on events, Andy's put on events, and there's, there's other people in this room who've probably put on events, but, but it's all under different names. Like, there was more collaborative approach to it, where more of an umbrella, almost kind of like you were saying with Rockstar, you know, where it's it, it's not about one genre, it's not about one, it's not about rock or death metal or punk. It's about everything. I think if there was more of that that approach, like like the kind of the way a venue would look at it, a venue will book whatever shows come to them, regardless of the music, but and it will become a venue which becomes synonymous with the most popular events there. So the Invisible Wind Factory down the road, um, it has a very particular type of events which goes on there. Um, however. In January, there's a, a hardcore tour coming through there, and I saw the venue when it came up. And um, every time I die, Jesus, Peace, and Sanction are playing there. And I was like, I've got to be at Liverpool. That's across the road. That's, that venue's across the road from my apartment. That's amazing. I can't wait. I was really surprised to see it. But I think there needs to be more a more collaborative approach. And then to, to go back with what Paul was asking before, like where do I go to find out about these venues? It also ties in what these guys were saying. Where do I go to find out about these? I've lived in Liverpool for a few years, or I've been out of the scene for a few years. Where do I go? So I feel like there, does, there needs to be some kind of umbrella, some kind of location. And in this day and age, let's face it, it's probably going to be some form of social media. So if there was some kind of collaborative approach for, for promoters to work together, for venues to work together, where it all presented itself with different kind of arms, different branches, and this uh, that you could find out about everything that you wanted in one location. I think that's going to be definitely the best way for smaller bands. Even Nova Crow, you're not a small band. Uh, you, you play in front of, you, you play overseas, you play in other cities around the country, you have good uh, good following. So there's no reason why you shouldn't have uh, a, a decent crowd in Liverpool. But I think it's more of a case of, it's so splintered. It's so, like the Liverpool scene is kind of, like it's like a it's like an old grand tree, if you will, you know. Like it's kind of like it's got some broken branches, it's got some dead branches. It's still living. It just needs reviving, and it just needs nurturing properly, in my opinion. I, I I totally agree. I just want to add a little bit to that, but I totally agree with Joe on that. Um, one of the interviewees that I, I talked to in, in in the books, a guy called Tom Ganad, who um, some of you might know. And Tom used a really, I think, a really important word. He talked about the idea of cultivation. You know, letting, give, these things take, take time to grow. So, you know, even though I've talked necessarily, maybe venues aren't super duper important all the time. It is people. But nonetheless, venues, the idea of having a central hub, somewhere that people can kind of go and hang out, which is why I love the idea of Andy potentially putting together a new venue. You know, a central hub is a really vital resource for a scene because one of the things that you know people talk to me about when I was doing sort of historical dimensions to the book, you're talking about the loss of places of hanging out. You know, so people, Joe met some of his first bandmates when he, you know, he used to hang out outside Quiggins. 
you know, it was this kind of alternative shopping centre in Liverpool, city centre, but then it got kind of redeveloped um, as a result of Liverpool One coming in, and it was pushed to a place that didn't really take off, and so the, the community that was there was lost. And I think, you know, Tom's point was that every time you get a bit of momentum, every time you t start to cultivate something, it gets lost. And, and what that does is it kind of stops those kind of places where people can hang out and meet each other and you build that community. And I don't get a sense that that's, that's there as maybe as it was now. You know, I, I know loads of people go to the Swan and stuff like that. But, you know, aside from that, I wonder about, you know, that those opportunities to hang out, to meet people who are interested in the same kind of stuff that you are, um, and to, to develop scenes. And, and, you know, Amanda took, you know, Amanda's uh, research on, on sort of rock societies, and that, the idea of, you know, scenes have to begin somewhere, you know. Uh, and who's the next generation, you know, Chris, talked to me in an interview, Chris over there from Exhumation talked to, to me about, you know, exchanging CDs in the schoolyard. You know, scenes begin in lots of different places, but those kids need places to go, you know. Um, so I think that's why I love the idea of Andy, you know, potentially having a venue where young bands can go there, where you have a night maybe where there's under 16s as well as over 18s, and you galvanize that kind of community. And then maybe you get a bunch of people who are going to regularly come to these kinds of events. Um, but that splintering doesn't help. Uh, and the consistent turnover of venues does not help. I was going to add the rock sock side of it. Um, since <laughs> what else would I add? Uh, no, so when I came here in 2014, I, like I said earlier, I was brand new to the city. I had no idea what to go or what kind of scene there was here. So showing up and having Rock Sock really enabled me to figure out where to go in Liverpool, what places are cool, where there are venues, who's playing where. And I think sort of post-COVID, you sort of think about how accessible that lifestyle is for all people. A lot of people are on hard times financially. And I know I was the type, you know, international student, you only live once. I'm going to go to every gig that's in front of me. So every time Rock Sock was like, let's go to a gig instead of the pub, I was like, I'm there. I don't care what this band is. I don't care what music they play. I don't care if they're terrible or my new favorite. I'm going. It's a gig. It's going to be fun. And I think that was sort of definitely that year of Rock Sock, we had the, that sort of agreed hangout space of going to some random gig of local bands no one knows. It'll be fun, it's cheap, or we got, I know sometimes we get on the guest list because we're, we're students and they just, they're like, oh, 15 people come in, people are gonna walk by, I think this gig's great. So I think sometimes they just saw a group of students and, and they were like, come on, come in, and that sort of thing, but again, it's not just the people going to gigs that are on a hard time. The promoters, they can't always give us these discounts anymore. The tours are like, nope, we're barely breaking even. Like, we're $5, or five pounds, sorry, I just came back from America, please excuse me. Five pounds a ticket is already cheap enough. And, you know, so I think there's sort of pull on all sides for sort of who can sort of invest in these scenes, even in 
the littlest way possible where to me I'm like well a fiver oh fine I'll get one less cider or I'll just buy a cider with my credit card you know either way but not everyone is in that situation where they can afford to test out a new band in person or go to a night or whatnot um, <coughs> and again that's COVID specific but again with rock sock it's sort of like you have different types of music that are flourishing at different moments so it's sort of like if, if there are a, like um Polybius is a local hard rock band that came from rock sock that are really good are they metal no but are they doing really well yeah rock sock will go to just about any Polybius gig that happens because we know them and they're actually getting really good we're really proud of them um so i think there's a, sort of that switch back and forth for like what music's doing well or what Headliner will bring in the other acts and, and whatnot, but yeah, I think it comes back down to the financial thing. I think um, you can't always afford to do things like that, but when you can, um, knowing where to find those resources and those communities and who to talk to. Again, being brand new to the city, I'm lucky I found a university group of people who are only into this stuff and could point me in the right direction and make sure I found these things, but I did not have those opportunities in America. My first group of metalheads were very Sexist. They did not think I was serious about the music and they didn't teach me anything I had to like listen quietly and go home and write down Iron Maiden peace of mind by that album and things like that Because I didn't have anyone who like really brought me into the community Then I come to Liverpool and I had like 30 people who are like come on. Let's go see this band It was like absolute time warp for me coming here um, but anyway, so we do have potential for that to be us again in the future. Again, I know we're, we're all putting Andy on the stand saying his new venue could help with that. But I think the city does have the capability to do that again. And we're all sort of rebuilding and still recovering from COVID. So I think that is a side of it too. I think probably one of the, it, it's, a, it's an ugly question, but it's, the, it's, it's like, do you want it? Do you want corner at the crazy house? Do you want to watch Pantera at, at the Royal Court? Well, in order to have that, you're going to have to take a few bullets. You're going to have to take a few shows that you might not enjoy, but you're going to have to go to a couple of these shows so we can start to prove that this is financially viable, economically viable, and from a social point of view viable, we're going to have to take a few bullets that, you know, that you're going to have to go to a couple of shows that, gasp, might not be that good. Might not be that good. I go to a metal show and it might not be that good. And we've been to them. Lord knows I've, I've played some of those shows. And, and that's probably what we have to do. You know, uh, Jimmy's at the moment seems to be doing is an interesting sort of case study in so much as the, they, it's kind of newly sort of minted and newly kind of put out there. And they put up some shows and, and they look very, very interesting. But like one in five is really well attended. We're going to have to help them. That's what we're going to have to help them. That's, that's what it comes down to. If you want to see these huge and larger bands, we're going to have to help them. It means go to shows that maybe, okay, might not totally be my buy. I want to check out what it is. Uh, you might not be 100% my thing, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go and try and support them where we can. We're also talking about just outside the metal community of music as well. You know, I think the dirty secret here is that we're going to have to take a few bullets on this one to ultimately make stuff shine and, and, and get it so we've got a situation where, uh, listen, these venues are important, and the, one of the reasons they're important is, is outside of the music. I met my wife at a, at a metal show, that was like 20 plus years ago. I've got friends that I've got for the rest of my life because I met them. These are important, these are important things that happen at these shows, even aside from gasp the music. If there's nowhere for these things to happen, there's nowhere for these things to sociologically 
balloon, if you will. We have to support all the venues. So, you know, it's not a case of, oh, I know the owner, I know the promoter. No, 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 they're putting on a show. If you can get to it, you need to get to it. I'll, just as a sidebox, I do want to ask Andy something in a second. Is um, Social media has almost really hampered promoters and venues. When you put that you're simply interested in a show, it's not enough. You need to put that you're going. In fact, you need to buy a ticket before that show happens because that sets up things for that promoter. It puts things in play so they can invest in stuff and, and, and know that they're at least going to get, I'm going to get X amount of money from the show. And they, what will happen quite often is that that will roll on to another show and they'll help them book another artist. And if they have a few of these things in a row, they can book more artists, better shows, get better light breaks and, and the sort of thing, and, and, it, and it carries on and on and on. But that comes from purely a support-based structure about we need to start going to more shows, ladies and gentlemen. We need to start buying our tickets before we go to, on the door, should be taken off, it should be, you should be pay, paying for your tickets before you even get to a show. So we're telling these people, look, we support you. We, we are out there, we want to come to your shows. Let's, let's go. So the promoter can go, okay, that 56 people that are showing up for the show is actually going to be 56 people and not five people. And the rest of those people just wanted to look cool. Supporting a show, supporting an artist, supporting a band isn't saying like or interested. That's, that, that's a fucking given because it's free to do that. You should be doing that. If you're mates in a band and you don't like, follow and subscribe to everything that they do, there's something badly wrong. That should be a given. We need to be going to more shows and we need to be supporting our local shows. I want to just quickly bring in Andy. Andy's got a, a new project coming up. What about those? Um, what, what, it's, is it still called the Way of the Axe? Is that yeah. am I yes. right thinking? Yes. Uh, so it's a, it's a project he, he, we talked about quite some years ago. Uh, Andy, for those that don't know, is heavily involved with like Metal to the Masses and puts on a, a hell of a lot of great, great, great bands uh, and, and shows. And so you are actually going to take a building, change it, and kind of fashion it so it can have multiple types of shows on and multiple types of artists within the metal spectrum. Is that right? Well, um, I think we've done a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah,
basically the, the response we got at the time was like, you're straight, you're white, you're male, and you want to uh, do things with music which might have swear words in. Nah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that kind of knocked me for a bit. But then I've, uh, I went, after, as, as, after the lockdown opened up again, yeah, I, went, I, went, I went back uh, to doing some festival work and I did work about two and a half months of back-to-back -back festival work all over the place. And fucking that's all. Because <laughs> people have had like, what, 18 months, two years of nothing. And I've been doing events for 10 years and I've never seen anything like I've seen in the last three or four months. <laughs> it's, it's rabid, but it's brilliant. So, uh, it kind of, after basically getting told the fuck off by the powers that be, it uh, kind of gave me a boost in the ass again. And I've been, I put a few more applications in things. Uh, I went to view a building yesterday, which I've said what I'm interested in. And I've, I'm finishing up the paperwork. I have to stop in the paperwork to come to this tonight. Uh, and I got till the 29th to, uh, to put in a, put in a, put a formal bid. So we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Hughes from Deathgrade. I've tried to get him on the panel. It's certainly going to show every time. So the reason I, the reason I wanted to, to, to introduce Andy, Andy there is that to explain the, one of the many things that I think we've got from this entire panel, and certainly from Ned's book, is that nothing's dead here. It's not over. The game's not over. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not the end of the world. The, the, the scene is, is, is starting to bloom again. It's starting to take shape and become something something very nice, I believe. Uh, any more questions? We'll wrap up soon. I've got a, got a man at the back there. What's your name, sir? Uh, my name's Sharky. Sharky? He's giving up a Sharky. Hey, Sharky. I'll try it. I'll try it. There we go. I, I know some people know me here. I run the Brock and Heavy Metal Band What were the barriers? Why did they say no? Did they give you reason? Check that out. 
hostess and everything else. Uh, one thing I have been thinking of is maybe sort of sponsoring some small uh, gigs here and there. If, if anyone, any promoters here, uh, would like a little bit of money just to do stuff, but, you know, give me a shout. Throw some money away if you want to just sort of carry them. So I think, you know, it's, let's see if Sharky again, like doing on the water, is that um, we've got some fantastic people in here, it's a, it's a small room with a small amount of people, you're, you're only allowed two questions, of what? no, I'm <laughs> you can ask as many as you want to do. venues that we're talking about are all pretty much in walking distance so you can see a, wow you could actually support some of these venues on the same night multiple venues amazing um i'd actually go as far to say that the first gig that i ever hosted was actually at the zanzibar first, first gig i ever played yeah first gig i ever hosted was at the zanzibar and that would have been about 2005 maybe uh, and that was as we kind of discussed earlier the, uh, the opportunity for me to book my own band to play with some other bands um and uh, I think uh, I think I had some terrible death metal type uh, name for the, the event, which was uh, December to Dismember. You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, and yeah, so managed that. Yeah, actually going back to Zanzibar, I think that actually yeah, was the first venue. So a lot of people's first shows got got like some place. as well. They used to do the Saturdays, which was really for the younger children who couldn't drink. One of the first uh, under 18 shows I remember going there, it was wildly successful. They did like a matinee. I remember uh, Metro Manila Raid, there we go, Shushamayed, would, would play a show in the afternoon and then a show in the evening and they would do an 18. And, 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 you know, that was just the first one. Yeah, that was, it was just the devil's handbook, the whole thing. Sorry, go. It's, uh, it's recently reopened, very recently reopened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, they, and this is a problem. This is this is one of the things you're new. If you didn't have this, these people here saying that it's definitely 100 percent going to be open for that thing, but well, it isn't, and that's one of the things. With, yeah, and I would. I just wonder now how many. Uh, this is a, a dichotomy of the of the society that's out there, and the and the and the, 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 the music <coughs> people that, that listen to metal that's out there. How many people we didn't get in here? think that that place is closed so they won't be going on Saturday you know it's like there's still barriers ladies and gentlemen and that's why when you leave here tonight as well I would I, I recommend listening to the show please if you could but I would also recommend obviously reading Ned's book but then talking to the people and say listen you know we went to this thing they've mentioned these these, these places we need to go and hopefully information reverberates out sorry mother oh don't don't apologize I was waiting <laughs> um I would say of at least of people who are using microphones tonight, I'm the one who can relate most to your situation. I know what it's like to be new to a city and be like, These, there are things I want to do. I want to participate. Please take my money, but where do I go? And I think 
to your point, a lot of the Q&A is sort of focused around like how do we get the message out or where is this information or even back to your original question of like, oh, how do I know who's playing where? I think there is an issue sometimes that once you're an insider, you kind of forget how periphery things that are more common sense are to people who are brand new. And I think not necessarily that I can promise or say that's something anyone in this room can particularly fix. Um, that's something I've always personally been like, why isn't there just some random tourism website where I can find out whatever city I go to where all the good metal places are? I've always thought that should exist. Yeah, like a, way back when, but it's one of those things that like whenever I travel, that's something I'm always like, what's the metal bar? Or where are the local bands gonna play? And I don't know if that's something that, you know, whoever has access to that sort of thing, or like earlier when Ned was like, do we know anyone who has a blog? You know, like maybe that's something like RC needs is sort of that person who's gonna be like, this is going on, these are the places to go and sort of take ownership of that and be like, these are the places we like to go. These are the places where maybe you, students you know want to like go. Or, like, yeah, that might be a project we need to do. It's sort of what I'm saying, not that I have free time, but. <laughs> I'll do that job. Maybe we can no, do it together. We'll do it together. Yeah. Maybe we'll right. do this together. I promise. Yeah. Um, I will. I will start looking into this now. If we call it the, the metal tourism board, or whatever we decide to call it, which catching in. But the, look, the, the point being is that we can do something about this, and we start to move to do something about this. Metal travel guide. I love that. I'm gonna start. I will do the work. And I, Must exist. We just need this. If this doesn't exist, there's an app. This is going to sound unrelated, but I swear I'll bring it back. But when I first started researching rock societies for my project, someone made this really ancient website of all the rock socks in the UK and all their names. And it was one of those things that you can tell it's at least 15 years old. It's from the 90s. It doesn't work right. And it's not updated. I'm like, oh no, that city, I know the name of that rock sock. I go to that rock sock frequently. And I think to sort of follow up on being like, oh, there used to be that problem website. I think that's another issue with things uh, like our little subcultures. It's sort of like if there isn't someone to keep going with those projects, they don't get updated over time. And even though we're all like, oh, the internet, I can access anything. It's like we still need to keep adding those stories and keep updating locations. What is that support the scene thing? I've seen, I I've sent some messages uh, yesterday. I'm checking it out. The support the scene thing. Has anybody seen that? It's like a, a is it an app or something. Uh, it's very, very new. It was, uh, I, I'll have to have a look into that, but it looks like that's kind of some kind of curation for it and some kind of travel guide, if you will. I, I'll have a look into that because clearly if no one here knows about it, then that's the target audience as well. But I'll have a look at that. Have a look at the support the scene and try and find that. I'll put some links on the, on the podcast. I'll look into that because I think that that could be what we're talking about in some JJ, what was the exit live thing? Does that curate some kind of live events as well? How does that work? That's what we're doing. Right. We're, we're curating events okay. all over the country and in space and everywhere. It's digital group lighting. Yeah. Is, is that app based or is it a, is a website? or? It's, like, it's a digital platform. If we search ex exit live, we'll be able to find it. Because I've yeah, looked yeah, into yeah, it a few yeah, times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've okay, one of the work with a 
what metal acts. I've got an opportunity to do a mm. stage at Sound City next year, and be, nothing would please me more than to have a metal stage saying. at Sound City in 2022. Saying. So that's why I've come here tonight, because I want to try and reconnect with people and try and get a bunch of people in the same room and have coffee. Don't have to fucking like me, but you have to understand that at the end of the day, the bigger picture here is the metal hammer came down on Liverpool, and we need to pick it back up. So. Let's, let's try and do that. Couldn't agree more. Um, anybody else? Any more questions before I wrap up for this evening? I think we're, I think we're good. I think we've highlighted a ton of, of fantastic issues, but also I think what's most important um, is that we've also set up some roadmap of what we're going to do here and how we can do it and give some, some options. And I hope you take that away uh, and look at that very carefully and feel free to connect with every, anybody that you've seen on the panel or available on the social medias, whatever. Andy's got a question at the back One final question then, right? So. <laughs> If I get this venue right, mm -hmm. if you did this travel tourism guide thing, can I get a plaque on the front of my building? Like a blue plaque? Metal tourism guide approved. You think Andy that a blue plaque is going to save this issue? Obviously! Yes. Well, well, I'll make you a blue plaque. Yes. I'm happy. <laughs> I'll make you a blue plaque. I think uh, no, no greater thank you uh, and, and uh, you know, adhering to Ned's book, no, no greater sort of uh, thank you for, for doing that. It's, it's generated all this wonderful conversation and all this debate and topic is all came from Ned's book. Uh, and I just want to thank Ned for letting me do this and thank you all for, for being at the show. But thanks for letting me for Ned and the panel as well. Thanks for Andy Cooper, and anytime you want to contact me or whatever it is, feel free to do so. But thanks for coming tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, the podcast will be up as soon as steamily possible, and you can share that to people at may not. <coughs> thanks again to Carnival Real Rio. Outstanding place. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. There you go. Thanks Thanks for, for listening. That was a long one, wasn't it? It was a long, long old show. And it just flew by. We should do these more often. We really should. A lot of people in the audience wanted us to do this regularly. We probably should. That way we can really enact change and really kind of do some of the things that we talked about. Um, I want to say thanks again to, to Joe Mortimer. Wonderful insights there. Uh, fantastic advocate for the scene as well as Amanda Barnett. So Amanda, we will get you on the show at one point, I'm sure. There's so much more that we want to talk about. And then obviously to Nadine, Nadine Hassan, Ned, my friend, thank you very much for... For, for you know allowing me to compare and and being part of the book in a very small way i really appreciate that you're uh, what a wonderful human being and what a wonderful vision and and and, and look he had uh, in that book on the scene and kind of the whole the, the way he he looks into that scene is both from an academic point of view and as a fan and it really really comes off well in the, in the book that that's the case superb individual and i thought a really enjoyable night we should do more of them right i guess so we should definitely do some more of them so it only remains for me to say thank you for listening as always and i will see you at the show